Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Anthony Alex from the Angry Mailman podcast, and you're listening to another fine show from the From Page to Screen Media Empire. Hey guys, this is Ace Marrero from the movie Madison County. Hi, this is David L.G. Hughes, writer-director of the film Hall Bowl Suites. I love the pace and the fastness, and I love the fact that you just roll with it. Hi, I'm Eric England, the director of Contracted. Hi, I'm Jake Amino, the writer-director of The Asian. My name is Nathan Whitehead, and I wrote the music for Beyond Skyline. Hello, Stuart. Just a quick hello from Sarah Douglas. Hi, this is Ben Lloyd Holmes from the film The Expedition. This is Dominic Burns, the director of Allies. Hey, Stuart. Page the screen. Dot com up in my boundaries. Snakes. Get up to my motorcycle running and tracking up with my fucking snakes. Jamie's with Dom eating pizza and pussy. I'm Neil Johnson, I directed Road Warrior and The Time War, and I crucified Adolf Hitler. The From Page to Screen I was just about to phone you, I'm like, Bob's not normally 20 seconds late, is he okay? <laughs> what can I say? I'd, I'd basically made a major mess up, I'd not filled up the kettle. Are you still there? I just accidentally pressed the mute button on my microphone. Oh, I thought you were in shock because I'd not got myself sorted with coffee. In no, time. no, I'm merely saying that I've got my coffee cup filled up as well. So. Well, I've got the three three that I need. I've got a, a nice large mug of freshly made coffee. Yep. I've got a pint of water. Yep. And I've got a seriously good whiskey. So well, I've got uh, I've got a cup of coffee, and <laughs> I have got a cordial. <laughs> Ah, uh, orange. So I'm on the I'm on the hard <laughs> stuff tonight. Oh, definitely, definitely. If my uh, throat's a bit wonky, it's because I had to sprint for the bus in cold air. It was uh, I, fini- I finished work at seven o'clock, so I phoned the net up and I went right. I'm walking down to the bus stop now. Uh, I think the bus is about ten to. She said, "Do you think?" Oh, you know. I went. Well, I think it's about ten to. Whatever. She said, "I'll have a look for you." <laughs> so I'm like, "Okay," and the walk probably takes me about half an hour. And she went, nope, bus is at half past. I'm like, what? Mm. I said, what time's the one after that? She went, quarter to nine. I'm like, oh, shit. So I went, gotta go. So I had to sort of sprint halfway down. Uh, it's not a good Ooh. idea after you've been working nine hours to sprint in the no. cold, dark night. So, But I made well, it. Well, yeah, not if you're feeling too, not too good in, in the, you know, the start of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I caught the bus, though, so I was quite happy. How are you doing, Steve? That's the main thing. I'm, all, I'm okay. You sure? Yep. Good. We have another guest as well. Sure. He doesn't. He doesn't sound convincing. T- uh, nah. Tonight's is going to get very confusing because oh. we've got Bob. Hello, Bob. We've Hello. got Stu Miller. Stu Miller. Hi. Uh, we've got me, who's another Stuart, and then we have another Stuart as well. So Who? I'm bringing him in. Let's have a look if he's accepted. He does. So I don't quite know how we're going to work the old name thing. 
You know, <laughs> Bob, you'll be all right because you're a Bob. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but we, yeah, we've got three stews. So, uh, hello. There you go. I, I'm Stuart. I'm I'm the Stuart with a shitty accent, so I'm all right. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure my accent is that much of a pro progression, but I'm Stuart Wright. Yep. No. How do you do there? That that's right with a W, not all right. That's the. I mean, are you always are you always right? <laughs> no, 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 no. That's uh, that's a popular misconception. Hmm? I'm second. I'm second on the. That's usually second what it on, is. Let's go with that one. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, uh, I don't know how we're going to work the old. And so, what do you think, Stu? This this may get confusing, but I'll try and wing it. So. Um, Mr. Wright, like Mr. Wright, Mr. Miller, we could go Star Trek here. Call me Mr. Wright. You, you could, you could, you, you could call me Leighton Rocks. That wouldn't be the end of the world to me. Because that's your Twitter I mean, name, Leighton Rocks. That's my, twi- that's my Twitter handle. So if that makes it easier for for differentiating us rather than a load of Stuarts going, does he mean me? Exactly. It's like no, which one? <laughs> I think it meant the other one. Yep. Nope. So where does the Twitter name Leighton Rocks come from? And don't say your Twitter profile because that'd be like obvious. It comes from stupidity when MySpace came out and I just moved to Leighton, which was rubbish. Therefore, I said Leighton Rocks as a, a naive attempt to make people believe it was good. Oh, did they believe it? And, well, I do, and, and I still keep it, and it's the same on Facebook. It's the same. Sadly, it weirdly, it had already gone on Skype. That's why I'm Leighton Stewart on Skype. Oh, no. Weird. Weird that someone took Leighton Rocks there, but nowhere else. So two people think that Leighton Rocks. That's the well, way somebody they they it. could be called they could be called Mister or Mrs. Leighton, couldn't they? They could actually think they that themselves rock. But I, I'm obviously not East End Cockney, am I? So no. Um, <laughs> I was making a big. Although to be fair, since they built the Olympics near my house, yeah, that's nice. Where I live is where I live is quite nice now. Not bad at all. Well, yeah, it's quite nice of them to build the Olympics near your house, though. Well, well, I wasn't expecting it. I mean, there wasn't even an Asda when I first moved here. There's an Asda and a TK Maxx, and then they built the Olympics, which was kind of, that was super nice. Wow. You change your Twitter <laughs> name to Olympic Village Rocks and Asda. Well, pe- have lots of people, have, people have come out with that. There's a Leighton Village Twitter account, which I think is, uh, which is sort of nice. And there's various other nice Leighton things around now, which there wasn't back in the day. And when, when I mean by day, I mean like 2008. <laughs> <laughs> so we know, oh. we know where your Twitter name comes from. Stu, I know where yours comes from, but tell everybody where your Twitter name comes from. It is my Xbox Live Gamer Tag. Well, it was my Xbox Live Gamer Tag because I couldn't think of anything to put for my Gamer Tag. So I just put like the typical thing, my name, and then a lot of numbers. Mm-hmm. I looked at that after the first time went, God, that's shockingly shit and very unoriginal. Yep. So I went on the, the name generator on Xbox Live and it just generated a cryptic tadpole and it stuck. That's so I've sweet. had cryptic tadpole as a name for since 2006. Wow. So about 12 years. So you were christened by an AI. Yep. Should an AI going. controlled by Microsoft. Ooh. Don't, get, don't get any better. You're like a Bond villain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like in training. Oh. <laughs> Stu, Stu Miller would make a good Bond villain, actually. I'd watch that movie. Black. Just, let's just destroy everything because it's shit. Yeah. <laughs> Except anybody who likes horror movies and stand by me because they're okay. Yeah. And uh, Bob, cut down version of where your Twitter name came from, Bag of Rats. 
Um, well, I had to change it because I had to create a new uh, Twitter account. Uh, basically, my old one um, was a little inhabited by my ex-wife's friends. Um, so anyway, basically decided to create a new one. And the story was going around at work at the time. Uh, one of my work colleagues, his father-in-law, um, should we say, moved in the similar circles to uh, Ronnie and Reggie. So um, he, he worked a little on the wrong side of the law at times. Uh, anyway, um, moving on a few years from that bit, he was running a, uh, basically <coughs> a um, company hiring out sunbeds. So people would hire these and take them away, you know, return them after the hire period and what have you. And the story goes that there was this one rather well-to-do couple that had hired uh, a sunbed, um, didn't return it, he chased them up, still nothing. They told him where to go in no uncertain terms. So he decided he had to get it back himself. So he, he basically went round to their house, rather well-to-do suburb, you know, nice little driveway up to the house, um, parked his van at the opening, you know, at the entrance of the driveway, walked up to the house carrying this bag of rats, uh, basically fed the nose of the bag through the letterbox. This is about five in the morning. <laughs> and let the rats in through the letterbox. Jesus Retired down to the end of the road to have a fag. Um, of course, the house awakens. The lady of the house comes running out, screaming in her nightwear. As you would. Yeah. Um, closely followed by the man of the house, panicking and what have you. So, uh, yeah, basically, it's a case of uh, he just wanders in, picks up the uh, uh, the sunbed, wanders out, loads it in his van, and buggers off. But it's a case of when my mate was telling me this, it's a case of, hold on, hold on. Where did he get the bag of rats from? <laughs> he said, oh, you, it's just something, yeah, I asked him that himself, and he said, oh, I, I, you just come buy these things. <laughs> well, I've been in lots of supermarkets, and I'm pretty sure Leighton Rocks has been in his nice swanky Asda. They don't sell bags of rats. Yeah. N- not that I'm aware of. I thought it was a play on, like, bag of shite or something, like it was a, some colloquialism I didn't know about. No, no, it was literally a case of a guy that... Um, Moved in darker circles, and he just used this as a tool. He had a bag of rats with him, just like you always carry around, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a bag. Of, I have a bag of pens, so I, you know what to write with. Yeah, it's close enough. <laughs> I have a bag of podcasts and a bag of movies to watch. That's pretty much. Yeah. And and on tonight's topic, I have a big bag full of titles of Ridley Scott films that's been a bloody nightmare to pick five off. But never mind. We'll Aww. we'll crack on with that soon. So, <coughs> so uh, anyway, yeah, that's my story. So I'll find out how everybody's week's been in a minute, but I'm going to run down my day. So uh, I'm sitting at work today, obviously hard at work, whilst checking my Twitter. And um, I was putting some tweets out about this script that I'm writing. This is something years ago, somebody else spoke to Bob about it already. It's like years ago, somebody yeah. wanted some stuff for the showreel, but they didn't have anything. So I said, well, I'll write you something. So I wrote uh, a very basic scene that could be filmed by me and it's like one person in a room and then this damn thing's just stuck in my head for years and I thought I want to do a feature film with this thing one person in a room one <laughs> one camera basic storyline feature length and I sat and I tried to work out how the hell this thing could work would it work this that the other and I cracked it and I actually saw it <coughs> so I put it out on Twitter today and I said um, that I'm looking forward to trying to finish writing this thing maybe shoot it at some point I've already approached 
somebody who I want to be the main role. I'm not going to say who she is, but she's pretty much like, yep, I'm keen. Send me the script when it's done. So now I'm writing it. And uh, so I put some tweets out saying it probably take me about two or three days to shoot this thing. Somebody came back immediately going, that's impossible. You can't shoot a feature in two or three days. So that put my back up going, uh, well. Challenge in, accepted. Yeah. In, in my worst thing anybody could do to probably me or Bob or probably anybody on this, this episode is to say that's impossible. You'd never do it. Because then you think, well, we're going to prove you wrong then. So yeah. this sort of conversation went on for like an hour. And he was like, you can't do it. You cannot shoot a feature in two to three days. He said, it's not fair on your cast and it's not fair on your crew. I said, well, the crew will be me. The cast will be one other person one other. and another person who will have a very minimal role in it. But it's mainly sitting on the shoulders of this actress. Um, and it will all be organized beforehand. It won't be like, oh, now you need to do this. She'll know about it and she'll have agreed to it. And stuff like that. So he's like, no, you, you can't do it. I said, well, to be honest, I could shoot the damn thing in about seven hours if I was in the location. No, you can't do that. In, in seven hours, a, an actor will go through 60 or 70 pages of dialogue and that's about it. Like, there ain't 60 or 70 pages worth of dialogue in this thing. And it was, just don't tell me I can't do something. It was well. It, well, you can t- you can tell your friend that that's telling you can't do it. Yep. That uh, Sam Ashurst, who is who did the short film that featured at Fright Fest a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, literally shot a feature film with exactly the same setup as yourself. One actor, yep. a single location, in eight hours. He nice. optioned a he optioned a, a monologue stage play, and had ideas to turn that into something more cinematic. And he literally shot it ten days ago now. Yes, in a, in a in a day and a bit, literally Excellent. eight hours. Great. So they, well done. Exactly. So don't. So so you, we. Sh, it's one of the valuable lessons I think of anybody attempting the creative industries is to surround yourself with positive people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because because the naysayers will say you'll never make an omelet. You'll never you'll never fix a door to a door frame. You'll never make a feature film. It's like well. If I never do it, I never will. No, obviously. Yeah, exactly. It was. I, so I messaged, and it's a tradition that I mention Neil Johnson in every single podcast today. So I'd message Neil, and I said, "Look, somebody just told me I can't do something. How dare they?" And he said, "Once you enter the public eye, and I don't think I have actually entered the public eye, but he said it, so I'll go with that." He said, "Once you enter the public eye, he said people will come out of the woodwork and tell you you can't do stuff." But it didn't. And then somebody else messaged me saying, oh, don't let that other person put you off. I went, seriously, they haven't. <laughs> if anything, they're encouraging me to do it more. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that I... public eye, do it pointed finger first. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, 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 I don't know if any of you listened to um, Script Notes at all, the Craig Mazan, John August podcast about screenwriting. No, but is, is it they... recommended? I would recommend it, yeah. It's, cool. if, for people who want to know about working screen, those two are Hollywood screenwriters who are doing it now and talk about what it means to be one yep. um, and it's really really instructive but one of Craig Mazan's um, mantras whenever there's a because they have questions from listeners is yep. his answer generally because the question is can I do this or I was told I have to do this I was told I can't do this his answer is always there are no rules yep yep the, uh, there's obviously the law of the land but that's yeah. different from from yeah. You must do this. And you must do it this way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Do it your own way. Set out. Do your own thing. Prove them wrong. 
Oh, exactly. And, it, uh, and, and if it goes wrong, then you'll learn. You, if you're an intelligent exactly. person, it's a valuable, you le- valuable lesson. You, you learn. You learn what you couldn't do, and you learn what you can do. And if you, if you, if you think what you couldn't do, you could learn to do. Then that's your next priority, you know. Yeah. Or if you learn it was a waste of time, you don't do it again. It's like that's the only way. So I'm gonna right, Stu Miller, Mr. Miller. What is something you've done in your life that generally people would have thought you're not, you're never going to be able to do that? Hmm. Hmm. Like an Adam Sandler film, maybe. Is that, is that something? You That'll never happen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good question. Just stick somebody on the spot yeah, with, isn't it? Or, or Bob. Uh, Bob and Leighton Rock. So I'm going to ask you the same question. So whoever's got one. I would say for me, get married. Really? Why would somebody have thought that that was impossible? Or did you yourself think that's just probably never going to happen? Well, I left it late. You know, I wasn't really kind of, you know, I never really found anyone. And as experience now shows, I didn't find anyone. Ah, <laughs> but you found a wonderful daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the good thing out of it. But, yeah, yeah, so I would say that myself and several other people really thought that I would never get married. Okay. So there you go. That's mine. What about you, Leighton Rocks? Can you come up with one? Um, Well, initially, it was just just simply moving to London. You know, I was, I grew up in North Manchester, and... There was no real reason, and obviously Manchester being on your doorstep, it didn't really strike me as needing to do it. And then the opportunity arose, and it was a, it was a bit like, well, if you go for a couple of years, you can see what it's like, and then you just come back, don't you? Yeah. And, and I've yeah. been here since the end of '99 now, and what we are, 2018. <laughs> so I think I think the notion of going to London has sort of eroded now. But yeah, it was a bit that felt like something, and a lot of people said, "Oh, you don't want to bother." and Obviously, as many people were encouraging, but yeah. Um, so that's definitely one of them because, like, 18 years later, I'm still fanning about in the place. <laughs> <laughs> and is it working out well for you? Um, I, well, it's sort of it's been its own little roller coaster, and there's things that have happened that just wouldn't have happened had I not been here. So I guess the answer is yes. Good. And for, yeah. for example, a, a great example would be because this isn't particularly like you know, it's not about money or anything like that. Um, uh, when we when we got our house in in Leighton back in two thousand and one, when nobody wants to live here, we had an art exhibition in our house, and did it in collaboration with other artists across in Leighton. So we're E ten, sorry in Leightonstone, we're in E ten, and Leightonstone is E eleven, and they border each other. I don't know if you're familiar with the lie of the land in East London, but on the central line, the red one, it goes Stratford, which is where the Olympics is, Leighton and then Leightonstone, so obviously near each other. And we had about 100 people come through our house, which is kind of surreal. <laughs> but we also, but it was a combination of Manchester and uh, London artists. And as a prelude to the exhibition, in the park near my house, we had a tug-of-war between Manchester and London. So there was 25 okay. London artists and 25 <laughs> Manchester artists. It was such a load of fun. It was. Uh, I even. I mean, I don't, I, I, how many of you are in around Manchester? But we. I managed to get a preview of it in City Life magazine when that still existed in Manchester. I remember that one. Yeah, I remember yes. the magazine. Yeah. Yeah. So City Life for previewing something happening in my living room, my dining room wall, and my mate's shed, and in <laughs> and in the park wow. in East London got previewed in City Life. I think that's. Oh, I feel like that, that's, that's something. pretty major. Yeah. yeah. Like it, 
Nice. I'll never forget it, that's for certain. <laughs> How you? long did it take you to clear up? Well, we had about 20-odd people sleep on the floor because obviously they came down from Manchester yeah. and they brought their friends and stuff and you didn't want to... And we even had a gig yeah. at, the, at the end of the night and it was like, well, in weird things where if you said to me tomorrow, do you want to organise this? You'd go piss off. <laughs> but but for some reason, this all came together. It, 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 it seemed to work. Like the pub went, yeah, you can have the, the stage for free. You're like, can we? <laughs> Epic. Just yeah. works, TM. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the, it's the other old adage, isn't it? If you don't ask, you don't get. Too true. Too oh, true tell yeah. me about it. Yeah, I've done so many things in the whole sort of movie publicity thing where I'm like, oh, sod it, I'll just ask. And they've gone, yep, you're like, what? Crazy. <laughs> crazy, crazy. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the short film Vorman Project, directed by Mark Gill, who did the Morrissey biopic. Um, England is mine. You know, the England is England is mine. Yeah. in August last yep. year. Yeah. Well, the guy that directed that, his short film that put him on the map. I mean, do you mind if I tell the story? I mean, it's not go for story. it. It's, oh, go for it. He said he, he adapted a, Dave, a dream sequence that, with a short story within the dream sequence of a Dave Mitchell novel. That's what, he did. That's what the script was based on, called The Bowman Project. And so he wrote a letter to Ian McKellen because he happened to be in England at the time doing some theatre work. He wasn't away on some big Hollywood shoot or whatever. And, and, he, and he said, I did it because nobody told me I couldn't do it. <laughs> so he, he writes to Ian McKellen, and Ian McKellen says, look, I really like the script, you know, gives you that kind of soft soap in no. He says, but my mate Tom Holland is free. Do you want me to pass it to him? Wow. So, he passes, <laughs> so he passes it to Tom Holland. And Tom Holland says... Oh, yeah, I'll be up for that. What? You won't be in Manchester for a few days? Yeah, that'd be cool. My, my, uh, do, you, do you want me to ask Martin Freeman? I think he's free <laughs> for the other role. This is just before, just before Hobbit's about to break. And Whoa. while, apparently, while Martin Freeman, if I remember rightly, the way, because he, he came, I mean, I do a podcast for Britflix, which is a film podcast, which is how I got this story. And it was like, he, he, uh, he so he says, he obviously goes, yeah, 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 ask Martin if you want. Because Martin was more or less just famous for The Office at that point, and um, and probably that daft sitcom he did, um, the other one, the one he, that he was like the face of the the care the hardware store one. Um, but then he was in the running for because he was he was going for the casting on Sherlock. He wanted to play a doctor. Obviously, he played Doctor Watson. Yeah. And the character in this Vorman project was a doctor. So he gets Tom Holland and Martin Freeman because he wrote to Ian McKellen. That's, that's that's like you couldn't, and then and then the, then then they hit the, the the other thing they hadn't admitted yet is they hadn't actually asked Dave Mitchell yet if they had permission to use the story. <laughs> so he's now cast these two stars, and then he ends up having to go to a ladies at lunch book review where Dave Mitchell's speaking because the publisher and his agent won't return his calls or something like that, and he ends up telling Dave Mitchell the story which makes him laugh. He says, of course. Yeah, and then he basically agrees there and then you can use. And so again, it's like, you don't want to ask, you don't get. <laughs> exactly. Love Definitely. it. Yep. The worst thing, if you if you ask, the worst thing that's going to happen is you'll get a no. Yeah, exactly. and that's, but and if you don't, not, your position, position not changed, has it? No, exactly. Yeah. So Stu, you've had a little bit of time to come up with one. Have you come up with one? <coughs> Probably for me, it's just getting laughed at when I was taught, when I was said I was going to get a tattoo. Especially at the age of 33. What, you're going to get a tattoo at the age of 33? That's going to hurt. That's really going to hurt. You're a pussy. You'll never get a tattoo. And me, I've got 10 now. 
<laughs> yeah, fuck what, you. What was your first tattoo? I've got... It's actually a tattoo that I want to get rid of, to be honest. I've got some tribal on my top shoulder, top right shoulder. But right. the rest of the tattoos that I've got on my body are either something important to me or especially the one that I've got on my leg. I'm a huge Rick and Morty fan, and I've got a Mr. Meesigs on my legs, and I, Mr. Meesigs, look at me. And that right. was just down there because of just how silly it is. And I, I absolutely love it because of that. And I never regret, I will never regret it or any of the rest. The one on my shoulder, the, the tribal, yeah, I do regret that one. Is that because you don't like it anymore? Or cause yeah, I don't like tribal. I think tribal's really cheesy. I think too many people have tribal. And um, I, I'm looking at the ones that I've got. And yeah, I've got words written on me, my arm, but... They're sort of like in a unique style or I've got like there's a video game called um, Skyrim, Elder mm-hmm. Scrolls Skyrim. And I've got the word courage written in a dragon language from Skyrim, which very few people will have that or things like that. Nice. So I've got things yeah. on my body, which very few people would have rather than just tribal, which looks really bad. Whereabouts is your accent from in the north? Which bit of it? I'm from Sunderland. You're from Sunderland, right? So yes. I I did the cross country thing, uh, coast to coast on the on a bike from Whitehaven across to Whitney Bay, um, and I've got the end of the bike ride on my shoulder now. I've got the beginning, I've got the lighthouse, and I've got the broken castle on the northeast coast. I decided because because I broke the arm while I was doing it. I did forty Ooh. miles with a with a fractured arm, and Ouch. I was booked in for a ta- I was booked in for my first tattoo. And it was going to be something wholly different. And because I broke my arm, the arm I was going to get tattooed, I was like, I've got to have something to this to signify what this is, rather than just simply something on my arm. And that's so I ended up having the journey. Nice. And Bob, you've no tattoos, have you? No, I've I've often thought of getting one. There's one that I've always wanted, but I've never, A, got the courage, and B, Found a tattoo artist that can do the one I want. Ah, Stu's got the courage. I'm slightly addicted to them now, to be honest. I'm going to finish. I'm um, just below the the Meesigs. I'm going to get the box, which the Meesigs comes out of. And on the opposite side there, I'm going to get Pickle Rick. And then on the other leg, I'm just getting going to get lots of like iconic horror um, weapons. So like Freddy's glove, chainsaw from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the box from um, from Hellraiser. Things like that, all just going from my ankle all the way up my leg. Get the Blair, the, the Blair Witch Project snotty knolls. You could get that. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> there is there is a buzz to it, isn't there? When you have it done, there is yeah. like a your adrenaline does go. But it, it, I don't think it hurts at all. I think it tickles. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I'm not, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think of it as not hurting. But I don't. It isn't a pain that is kind of to stop you. I mean, there are certain yeah. ner- certain nerves it hits at certain angles and things, I remember, where you were like, oh, that hurts a lot more than before, or like the top of your shoulder, which is all bone. I was going to say, I've heard that, like, if it's over kind of just a thin bit of skin over a bone, that's meant to be one of the more painful yeah. ones. But... Yeah, it really hurt on the shoulder, I remember. Um, but I had one on my forearm, which is just all flesh in it, you know, where, you, where you're yeah. inside your forearm. And that was a lovely buzz because you're just like, it's hurting. But then it kind of just feels warm, like a warm hurt. You kind of get, I think you may be tapping into what people who who say, who are masochists or whatever, because there's something in that, I think. <laughs> I mean, I've not got an erection or do anything sexual about it, but, you know, just 
just just enjo- just enduring it, you know, and, and paying somebody for the pleasure. You know, that's uh, yeah. I mean, I think if you got to the point where you were like getting a stiffy and ejaculating whilst having a tattoo, I think you may have to find several different tattoo parlors to visit. You're right, they might, yeah, they yeah. might be asking you to leave, or maybe not. Yeah, I, don't yeah, know, yeah. I don't know what I like. Mr. Wright, can you keep still, please? I'm just. I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there in a minute. Oh, <laughs> oh grief. So, sorry so, to bring the uh, tone down there. Oh, no, 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 it's the, okay. the, the, the tone. Very normal. Yeah, I was gonna say it's, <laughs> it is about normal, isn't it? So, yes. So basically, if you want to do something, get it done. Don't let people uh, tell you you can't do it. So when are you shooting the film then? I have no idea. It was. Um, I'm. I'm writing a script at the minute. Yeah. I saw somebody online who I've seen in a couple of British films, but I've not seen her in stuff for years. So we're Twitter friends, and I messaged her, and I said, oh, I've not seen you since you were in such and such a film and such and such a film. She went, oh, God, that was ages ago. I'd quite like to do some more acting. So I'm like, okay. So I I sort of pitched it to her. I said, I've got this idea where, and it is in script form, where it's one person in one location, be shot over, you know, a small amount of days. Here's the basic storyline pitch. What do you reckon? She went, sounds perfect. Keep me updated. So basically, once the script's done, I'll send it to her. Then I get the fun. I love all this fun stuff because it's like when you when you're shooting stuff yourself, there's nobody going. No, no, you can't do that. You could just create whatever the hell you want. And it either works or it doesn't. I love it. Um, mm. So then it'll be a case of finding out what her fee is, and if it's a yeah. crazy amount, it'll be like yeah, on your bike. No, I mean, and then I'll go back to drawing board. And if it's reasonable. to be honest with you, the, 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 the advice I've heard from others is. And, and regrets people have had with, with taking on someone even with like the, the minorest of names yep. is that um, certainly when you're invite when actors are feeling like they're being invited on and, and, and are really looking for something to do, then especially if you're talking a one to three day shoot, they're not going to apart from not losing money, i.e., you pay their expenses yeah. and if they travel any accommodation yeah. and you feed and water them, then that's generally going to be enough. I mean, obviously, don't. If you can afford it, then pay them for a nominal amount for three days. I mean, even find out what um, there is an equity minimum. I know someone that yeah, it's got, got twenty a day apparently. The equity minimum. Yeah, yeah, minimum. yeah. And he got uh, this lad got, got no. Hugh McGregor on equity minimum. Sweet. You know, nice. again, he went in. He asked, and he said, and his agent went, "The fun, the film's fully funded." He's like, "Yeah, it's ready to go. I've got hundred thousand pounds, but I can only afford to pay you and this." Well, because it was funded. And it was literally about half a mile from where Ewan McGregor was living at the time. Yeah. Because he was because he was on a theatre run, and it was a day shoot. He said, "Yeah, I'll do it." And <laughs> again, it's again Aww. just more more evidence of the. Uh, if you don't the, ask, you don't get no, no, without a doubt. Exactly. Mm. So you've sort of you've uh, your Britflix. What is the coolest? Yeah. If I'm like, right, tell me a really cool memory from your time with Britflix. Which one or two springs to mind? If the you know that float to the top. The one that, well, the one that always floats the top because I still can't believe I've done it, is I was fortunate enough to interview Larry Smith, who was Stanley Kubrick's DOP. Yeah, nice. Who's worked with him? I mean, basically, I mean, it's just when you when you you know because he's not famous in the same way. He's famous because he's got good work, but obviously he's not he's not famous in the same way that Stanley Kubrick is iconic in um, in um, in cinema. But I was I, I'm 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 quietly obsessed. Well, not quietly at all. That's the wrong expression. I'm very obsessed with um, with Only God Forgives, the Nicholas Wan and Reffin movie. And I looked at who DLP'd it, and I'm like, it's Larry Smith. 
Larry Smith did the Kumu stuff. Larry Smith's British. I can get him on Britflix. That's amazing. So <laughs> John, who runs Britflix, just contacted his agent and he's like, yeah, because basically, apart from specialist magazines, no one interviews DOPs, you know, and I'm like, and I got this, I get this whole story about how when he came onto the set of um, Barry Lyndon in 1975, he was only there for a fortnight as an electrician. <laughs> Eight, 18 months later, He's busy mates with him, and they've done they've done tests with <laughs> candlelight and NASA lenses. Wow, that's one of my favourite things of of like having done it. It's kind of like it just is. Um... And then weirdly, a nice thing that happened, which was just the very fact that I could say I'm doing a podcast, as it were. I wanted to learn about virtual reality, and a couple of years ago at Cannes Film Festival, they were doing like a big expo on it. Now, I go there as a filmmaker. I don't go there as press at all, so I'm not really sort of... Can, I can't really get access to stuff in the same way as if I was there as press. But I got to interview Eric Darnell, who, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if any of you know that name, he basically invented the whole Madagascar Ooh. film range. That's his invention. He, yes. it's, he created all that, and he's just in the process now of starting a new company up, and, and he, did, he sat down with me. And what was the great thing was that classic thing where... A lot of film junket things, they just queue you up and have like three of you interviewing. Well, I was the only one that turned up for the slot I had, so I actually had a one-on-one. I had a one-on-one, which meant, oh, I had a pod- wow. which meant I had a podcast interview with him, talking to like an absolute expert storytelling about the challenges of turning 2D filmmaking into virtual reality storytelling and how we're on the, <laughs> the brink of something we don't understand. And, there, and it was so, it, it's that classic thing of like where you think, I don't know anything. And then you speak to someone that's actually doing it, and he's saying, we don't know anything. None of us do. We're just playing around. Yeah. All so in those, the learning process. <laughs> those, those two. I mean, Larry Smith, more anything else, because, it, 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 like I say, Only God Forgives is just... I, I, got, I got really obsessed with it. I don't know why. I don't know what it is about it. A lot of people hate the film, which, which actually makes me like it more. Anyone that says they hate a film that I like a lot makes me almost like dig in and go, I'm going to watch it again just to make sure. And then you go, no, it's brilliant. You're an idiot. And, um, and then carry on that way. I get a lot of my film reviews from Stu Miller here. Well, so if I listen to this podcast, he's like, this is terrible. It's awful. It's a big pile of shite or whatever. And I go watch it. And I go, I quite like that. So, it's, <laughs> you know. But I appreciate I the you. fact that Stu doesn't like the films, but it's like, you know, we agree on a lot of stuff, but we disagree on probably a little bit more, but it's fun. Uh- yeah, don't you say that about Fifty Shades Free, though? No, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I watched the first one, never bothered with the second one. I, the yeah, one. I've had the unfortunate circumstance of seeing all three. And yeah, if you want a bit of a giggle, listen to my review with Fifty Shades Free a couple of weeks ago. That's the first rant I've done this year. It's the first like full rant I've done in a little while, to be honest. You let yourself loose. Yeah, uh, because I did. I didn't do the re-review of Kingsman. The new, um, the second Kingsman yeah, film. I review, I reviewed it in the cinema, uh, but I didn't do the home release review. Uh, my co-host did the home release review, so I just had like a quick seer about it, and I went off on a bit of a rant about that film, um, how much I thought the film just sucked. Uh, but when it came to Fifty Shades Freed, I was doing the main review of it, and so it was just like a five-minute tirade against Fifty Shades Freed. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's a kind of. As a totem of what Hollywood is, I think Fifty Shades is an amazing example, isn't it, of 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 seeing a, like a product 
have the life sucked out of it as quick as it can because the audience that's going out to watch it or buying it on iTunes or whatever, they've got a, they must have the attention span of a gnat, the rate at which they're turning out the sequels for this. To me, it, it, it's after seeing that trilogy, I sat down and thought, oh, have I actually watched a worse trilogy than Fifty Shades Freed? <laughs> So, like, the first three uh, films in a series. So, if you're looking at things like Halloween, so the first yeah. three Halloween films, or the first right. three Nightmare on Elm Street films, um, Star Wars, obviously, the first three Star Wars films, something like that. And I mm. th- I was thinking, scratching my head for a very long time to try and think of another trilogy where I fo- thought the first three films were awful. Each one of the films was actually awful and progressively got worse as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan of the Hangover series, but I still found scenes in the first Hangover film funny, slightly funny anyway. And the last two Hangover films are terrible movies. But I just couldn't think of another trilogy where the first three films are absolutely horrible movies to watch. When, when, when you, I'm, I'm taking it you watched them in like release order. So you saw Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey, the original yeah. ad- adaptation, and you're like, that's poo. So then, then, you, then you're asked, go and watch the sequel because you never know. It might get better. And I'm guessing from what you've said, it, it descends a level, yeah? Yeah, oh, God, yes. So so a film you thought was shite descends into into the bucket of shite. And then then, you, then you're asked, do you know what? Will you, will you go and see the third one? Because we, <laughs> we reckon we reckon this is like Last Man Standing. And you're like, yeah, go on. I'll go. Did you actually go? Could you, can you honestly say you went in with, with an open mind or... No, no, God, no. no. Oh, God, God, no. Um, would you ever go in with an open mind after seeing two films in a series where they are absolutely atrocious? I the level, watch the third one. It's like, I'm the, out, I'm done. <laughs> Forget it. No, no, level, no, that's, that's what I'm saying. So it's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's an interesting way to sort of sit, because I, I, I find it really hard to watch films where I'm already up against it before I even switch it on. That, that's the worst thing about sort of like doing a movie podcast where you're reviewing films. That's, yeah, all, yeah, yeah. That, that's all my my show is for the last seven, nearly eight years now. It's um, just reviewing films. So you have to actually watch it, even if you saw. For example, I've seen every single one of the Alvin and the Chipmunks films. You jammy get. I've seen all of the Smurfs films. I've seen wow. just like the like the really bad kind of films. Um, I've seen them all. Um, so it's because does, does, does anything go lower than the third shades then in terms of, I know that's fresh in your mind, but do you have a, do you have a lower moment in terms of cinema you've had to review? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adam Sandler, for example, Jack and Jill. I, there, there is not one single redeeming feature of Jack and Jill. <laughs> I can't even point it and go, Oh, the music was for, uh, was good. The cinematography was good. Something was good in it. There is nothing redeemable about something like Jack and Jill. There's a movie that I always go to, which very few people have heard of called the mad, which right. was released this, which was released the same year as tales from the crypt demon night. And the both had Billy Zane in it. Now right. I like tales from the crypt demon night. It's a fun schlocky, um, old fashioned brain dead horror film. And it's a yep. lot of fun. The Mad mm-hmm. is one of the worst movies ever created. It's a zombie film about a plague that infects people, and Billy Zane is either slowly turning into a zombie or his acting career is slowly turning into a zombie. So it, it's it's really difficult to tell. But the film itself <laughs> is absolutely atrocious. And I could never sit through that film ever again. It is that bad, and I couldn't find a single redeeming feature. So at least Fifty Shades Freed is slightly better than that. But it's still not. It's still absolutely horrendous. 
Well, I was the fifth shade. <clears throat> Go on, sorry. No, no, you crack on. Go on. I was going to say the Fifty Shades ones weren't they kind of initially kind of set as a fan kind of fiction to Twilight. Yeah, yeah, which is already a bloody awful trilogy. <laughs> It's like, yeah, so what, what do you call it? It's a quintilogy or something, whatever. Yeah, so basically, you're trying, <laughs> you've basically taken a bad trilogy and made it worse. And you've got the um, the writer E.L. James who can't write, who thinks that she can write, but hmm. if you read some of the dialogue that she creates in the books, they are so horrible that you would actually get a, a brilliant epic story from a spot book. That her writing is that bad. Now, in the first film, uh, they've got Sam Taylor Johnson to direct it, who is a really good director. She's got a very good eye when it comes to films, especially relationship between characters. She, you start off really well with a proven director like that. Mm. But then halfway through the film, E.L. James stuck a big fat nose into it and said, no, this has got to happen. This has got to happen. This has got to happen. It happened so much so that in the second and third film, especially the third film, she got a husband to direct the third film. So she put it in the contract that for the third book to be turned into a film, her husband has to be the one to um, direct the third film. It's obviously he's not going to say a no to her. He's going to say yes to absolutely everything that she says. So she pretty much had creative authority over the entirety of the Fifty Shades series. And she's a writer who cannot write. So you start off with a director who's brilliant, with a writer who thinks that she's brilliant, who's so narcissistic in her own mind that she smells of farts and it's coming out like smelling like a Skittles factory. Did it start as like a blog? That became a book. Is that? How, is that no, it was. It was. Yeah. Um, just, it was based it off pure, pure fan published. Is it pure? It was fiction, basically. Yeah. It was on a um, a fan forum, a fan forum yeah. for Twilight, where um, she, El James, actually wrote it as well. Wrote fan fiction uh, for um, Twilight, and it was this Fifty Shades um, sort <sighs> of parable. And then she, um, the reaction that she was getting from it. She decided to expand it into a book, and then that book Changed was stupidly phenomenal. Yeah. And then just I, made it I don't have enough. I don't have enough time. I don't know what anyone else thinks, but I, I don't have enough time to read books that are already you know they've been through the filter and the publishers put them out. Does anybody here read fan fiction? Is that a, no? I've never done it. I've never done it. No, I've read a couple of them, but they've got to have got some glowing reviews for me to do so. Yeah, I've never read them. I'm with you, Leighton. Never, never happens. So what, did you, what, did you, what fan fiction did you read? I've read some Star Trek stuff and Star okay. Wars. But yeah, it's literally only a couple. Like I say, they've got to have had glowing reviews from someone that I trust. So it, does, it, does, it, it does rise to the top, as it were. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, It's basically a case of, I mean, like in the film side of things. Mm. Um, Mr. Bannerman here, it's Wait. basically a case of if he comes in with something and says, okay... You know, this is getting a bit of a slating, but it's worth giving it a watch. I will trust his judgment on that. Mm. And there are very few people that I do go to that length with, with different things. You, you you know yourself, you get to learn what other people like and if it ties in with your of own course. tastes. There's so, only there's only one time ever, and I've known Bob probably these nearly 20 years probably now, one mm-hmm. time that we've dis- or he's disagreed with my recommendation and that was the Blair Witch Project. Every yeah. other film I've recommended to him, he's liked. 
Yep. So I'm quite happy. And I still love the Blair Witch Project, so but I'm okay with Bob being wrong on that account. So I can appreciate the, the I can appreciate several things about it. I just don't like the movie. It was overhyped. I saw it before the hype, so you know I stand. I did, but I st- it still creeps me out that film to this day. I've seen scarier episodes of Pingu. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so we're, we'll finish this off about ten o'clock. So I'm, I'm conscious of a little bit of time. Has okay. everybody oh. done a little bit of Ridley Scott homework? Done quite a I- bit. Yeah, that, that and even the little addendum that you added onto there as well, seeing one film you've seen once and one film that you've seen or you can watch multiple times. So I always what? do my homework. I'm such a swat. I, I do mine. I, I actually got, limited I, to one. I got back home about quarter past eight and then I'm straight back, straight on here at half eight. So I'm like nearly finished. So I've got all my notes. And I know, Leighton, you've been out, haven't you? You've been busy today. I have, yeah. I've been to see uh, Simeon Halligan's new film, nice, Habit. Nice, Simeon. It was playing at uh, the Black Sunday Film Festival, which is a new one to me, um, which is the Hen and Chickens Pub by Hibernisant and Tube, which I know as a, as a theatre venue. I didn't realise they used it for films. So um, for, uh, for anyone that knows Manchester, I would totally recommend Habit. It's, um, it's going to get a release. Was, the, Rachel Simeon's missus was there, Rachel Jones, and she was saying that um, they, they hope it's going to get a cinema release later this year. Um, so it's got the, the inter- I guess the interesting thing is, and I'm just going to have to look it up because my mind's gone blank. Um, <laughs> it's got the woman, the young girl from End of the End of the Fucking World in the lead. So before End of the Fucking World broke, yep. she was in this film, uh, and I'm going to I'm going to get her name now. And there we go. Um, so Jessica Barden. Which weirdly, she's—it's like almost like a similar character, but but uh, it's the pitch for the movie is a coming of age cannibal film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, sounds odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's and it's it's, it's a really interesting because what I said to her after seeing it was, what was great is that's a ridiculous idea in the city centre of Manchester. You know, the idea that there's a secret society. Yeah. But the film plays it straight. It goes, yeah, there is. So, so get over it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you a film where this exists. So it I all like looks, it. The, it all looks the same. But the, the beneath the behind the curtains, as it were, literally, there's people committing cannibalism. So it happens. So you got like um, Will Ash is in it, who you might recognise. He was in that. Um, he's, he's kind of a, I guess, a professional mank. I suppose he usually would play almost like a kind of subset of Liam Gallagher. But for the first time, it's like interesting watching him play something a lot more dialed down um, in terms of that character. And it's always a, I think it's always a temptation when, sh- when doing Manchester to be that kind of over the top, as anyone can tell from accent, that's where I'm from. Um, <laughs> but they, they shot it, they do it with a lot of subtlety. They, 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 and it's, sty- it's stylized. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not bloody, it's, it's not neorealism at all. There's lots of like nice neon, um, no, and I think they've done a lot with a little, and I think it, it'll go. It's it's played it's played at festivals. I think it's won like it won best feature film, and best screenplay at New York Horror Festival, if that means anything to anyone, um, as as a thing. And yeah, no, I, I I hope it gets a decent, at least it'll get a cinema release, which is what they've got, which should be great. And then hopefully it'll, that'll give it a life when it goes onto video on demand and um, and then subscription on demand. I think that'd be great. 
I look forward to watching it because I was a big fan of White Settlers. Yeah, S- yeah. Well, that's, that's, I love that movie. Yeah, well, I had, I had Simeon. That was the first time I came across him. Really, he came on the podcast to talk about White Settlers. It was uh, Pollyanna McIntosh that introduced me to White Settlers, and then yeah. in turn Simeon and so on. So was good so you would give it a thumbs up and rest do was habit on your uh, watch list already or were you not aware of it i oh, wasn't no, aware that... of it there you go but it, it, it is it is nice to not be aware of films I, I love that i love that that's one of the best things i look forward to at the end of the year when i can go over my list of the films that i'm going to put in my top 10 films or my honorable mentions and i like to try and not go with the mainstream as much as I possibly can because I find that the mainstream, that's where the crippling films rather than actually extending films and making them feel unique. There are a few, di- obviously, directors out there who who have got a unique eye, but the mainstream cinema is just bogged down with absolutely horrendous car crash, car crashes of movies, carbon yeah. copies of each other. Um, they've lo- It's lost its soul. So that's why at the end of the year, I always love to find the small little films that very few people have heard of or have only just um, like a friend says, oh, you need to watch this or something like that. What was your number one then for 2017? Um, It was A Monster Calls. Was it really? Yeah, I adore that movie. Absolutely adore that film. But it's because I'm a huge, huge fan of both Guillermo del Toro, who sort of like brought up Juan Antonio Bayona. I think Juan Antonio Bayona is a phenomenal director. And just A Monster Calls is such a personal little film that it was my number one film of 2017. And it was the first film I saw in 2017 as well. I went, weirdly, I went to see that with me. It was a film I went to see on my own with just my mother, which is a bloody horrible film to watch with your mother in some senses. Yeah. (laughs) The, uh, The first film I saw last year was I, Daniel Blake, and right up till New Year's Eve, that was my number one film. And then I watched War of the Planet of the Apes, and that was amazing. So that kind of, it just pipped Daniel Blake on New Year's Eve. So I was a little bit upset about that. But Yeah, know. that that annoys me is because the way I do my top ten of the year, it's all films that have only come out that year. So yeah. for, for it to count for me, it has to be a movie that's, for this year anyway, released from the 1st of January 2018. But it has to be a theatrical release. If it's a direct-to-DVD one, that's fine, it counts. But it's a film that's direct to DVD or theatrical release or direct to Netflix that's come out from the 1st of January 2018 up until when I do the end of the year one um, in December. So, um, for example, God's Own Country, um, I reviewed that uh, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago in the home release section of my show. And if I saw that in 2017, it would have guaranteed to make my top 10 because that's a phenomenal little film. But I I love the small films rather than the big, huge, massive Action blockbuster ones, but War for the Plant Apes is really good. Do you, do you want to know what annoys me about God's Own Country? Uh, and I'll hold my hands up. I've not yet seen it, so I'm not judging the film. But the the social media um, account is super busy, as is all of ours, I guess. But they just constantly, my timeline's like, this is the best film ever, best film ever. Oh, my God, it's amazing. Best film ever. So my hype level has gone through the bloody roof for that film. So I'm waiting yeah. until it goes down, and then I'll watch it, and then I'll probably be another one of these people that's like, my God, that film's amazing. But it's Yeah, it is uh, that, best, that rare egg where, um, where people are saying it is a phenomenal film, that it is actually true. It definitely deserves the praise that it's getting. Not well, that it's, much, all, it's all it's all in it's all in the performance, isn't it? There's nothing. There's no bells and whistles that make it good. It just is. It is a good, human, earthy, given the farm location and everything, story about somebody discovering 
their ability to show affection. I mean, that's yeah. really it's a really base thing to 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 show in cinema because obviously those are the things that naturally occur in the mind. You know, we have our doubts, we have our arrogance, we have our complacency, and whatever. But the the film, I don't know how, I don't know what you thought, Stuart, but it was like it was it, the way it the way it portrayed it and the made you believe that this person was making progress despite himself. Because I won't say anything more because I wouldn't want to spoil it for someone not seeing it. But you really felt like you're moving along with him, didn't you? Definitely, and it it's just a testament that a film is fantastic, is because if it brings in everything that you care about, if everything that. Uh, the film is about you care about not just the people who are actually performing the characters things like how the film looks so mm. some of the camera shots in that movie are just absolutely breathtaking you watch it and you think that's in the uk really that exists in the uk you've just got expansive shots of fields and just shooting out over cities and towns and it's beautiful to look at the absence of any kind of speech when both characters are just looking at each other and there's not a single word being uttered. Mm. The silence. I love when directors are so brave to introduce silence into a film. It's a hard thing to get right, and it's a brave thing to do. But once again, um, when when they get it right, it just it, it adds such an impact. It actually puts hairs on your on your arm. Just they do stand on end. Even if it's not like a horror film, or it's not even meant to do that, you feel the hairs on on your arm just stand on end because you just feel the film. It has yeah, its no. own like heartbeat. So, no, yeah, no I totally agree with you. So, Leighton. Um, yes? You do a lot of British film stuff. What's a couple of your all-time favourite British films? And everybody else will get this question as well, so you can get thinking cap on. Also, well, well, funny enough, that was... the, the in God's Own Country was, was a real standout for me in 2000. I got to see it in the cinema when it came out. Um, but of all time... Mm. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, more, I'm more of a horror fan... Um, generally speaking, I mean, weirdly, I've not, still not seen Anne Daniel Blake for, for only because I don't want to be told that the system sucks and that the, that the world is cruel. I kind of know that, and I don't need a <laughs> film to... I don't want a film to reinforce that. I will see it eventually. Um, but um, Dead Man's Shoes, for sure, and, 20, and 24-7, to be honest with you. I mean, 20, 24-7, was it called? Yeah, yeah, 24-7. Yep. That, that was the black and white one, wasn't it? The... Mm -hmm. uh, Bob Hoskins, yeah. 24-hour party people would be another one, just for that other, for the other reason of sort of, you know, picking on the subjects I love, the whole Manchester music scene, but then sort of showing Manchester as well. I love that. Um, I think now. Lady Macbeth was amazing. I don't know if any, any of you saw Lady Macbeth last year. No, I didn't see that one. Nope. That's, um, that's an eye features film. So what that means is it was... Um, it was it was it was chosen and developed with help from Creative England, which is a kind of everywhere but London film fund, I think. Yeah. And and people would put in pictures for movies and stuff, and then so that's got a very northeast bent to it. So if you're not seeing that one, Stuart in Sunderland, uh, then uh, yeah, check that one out. That's got the, the lead actress is amazing in it, and um, it's a period piece. And it's not, and, the, and I must admit, the reason I hadn't seen it was because I figured it was Shakespeare or something, you know, it was some, but it's got bugger all to do with that. It's just a, it's about a femme fatale in a, in a, in a Victorian setting. It's the best way I can describe it to you. And it ain't, that ain't what you're expecting when it starts at all. Okay. Be Stu, Stu from Sunderland, what have you got? 
God, you can you can go horror if you want if you want to get, get yeah um, British ones. Obviously, for me, Neil Marshall stuff like Dog Soldiers and Descent. Yeah, they, I just love those as uh, British horror films. Neil Marshall is a genius director, anyway. So that um, Dexter Fletcher, the the three films that he's done so far: Wild Bill, Sunshine on Leith, Eddie the Eagle. Um, Eddie the Eagle, even though I knew the story about it, I still was cheering on Eddie the Eagle in the cinema. Obviously, silent, silently. I, I didn't want to break any kind of code of conduct or anything like that. But no. yeah, things like that. Um, I've only seen his first two, but I, I, I'm not a musical fan, but I friggin' loved Sunshine and Leith. Yeah, Sunshine really... and Leith is phenomenal. Um, it's just uh, Mum's List. That killed me. Absolutely killed me, that film. Uh, from a couple of years ago. Mum and Dad, you've just reminded me, that's another one I love, the Stephen Shield movie. Yeah, don't don't get it mixed up with Mom and Dad, which is out in March, which is the new <laughs> Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> um, which I, funny enough, which I saw a, an exclusive clip for before I watched Habit. Yeah, and I, 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 I've, seen, I've seen Mom and Dad. Um, <laughs> it's fucking insane, that film. But what do you expect from some one of the directors of Crank and Gamer? It's an is, absolute nut job movie. Is it good insane or crap insane? It's Nicolas Cage allowed to be Nicolas Cage for once, rather than him playing Nicolas Cage. It's Nicolas, Nicolas Cage. He's, I think Brian Taylor just turned around to him and said, you know what, just be you. I don't care, just be you. And yeah, when he's allowed to do that, he can do insane just at a drop of a hat. Him, so yeah, it is good in seeing. Yeah, I, so Mum's List. Um, I don't know Mum's List. What's that one? It's a small little um, film about uh, a mum who's she knows she's going to die of cancer, so she wow. writes these letters to her children um, yeah. for the father to pass on to the children, for them to visit different areas, and for them to actually live their life to the fullest once she passes away. Mm-hmm. And it it absolutely it was one of those films where I had to wait for everybody to go out of the screening of the film when the credits rolled for me to actually leave because I, I was such in a blubbering mess and very few films make me like that and um so if a movie can impact me that way then it definitely deserves a mention of any kind so that well I think I mean I think that's testimony to to what to, I guess that you you've not lost that expectation it can happen given you yeah. like you say you've watched all the Alvin and Chipmunk movies. Yeah. Yet you can still sit down in a cinema and can be left a blubbering wreck and have to wait for everyone to leave. It's like your love of cinema hasn't been diluted, has it, by the very fact you've had nope. to watch shite as well as... <laughs> Sometimes mine can be. I have days when I think, right, today I'm going to watch loads of films and I'll watch maybe two average films in a row and think, right, I can't be bothered watching anything else anymore. So I'll jump back to a classic like Midnight Cowboy or Scarface or something, something that I know I'm going to enjoy. But, you know. So Ridley Scott, anyway. Let's, uh, let's <laughs> Good segue. Let's, Good segue, Stu. Let's jump into Ridley Scott, not in a weird way because he would uh, be upset, but he was awarded the fellowship at last week's BAFTAs. Did anybody watch it or see the speech? Nope. No. Nope. All right. Well, he did a speech and he's cool and he's Ridley Scott. So... Uh, Bob and I, which we tend to do like a different sort of topic each week. We've done what we've we done in the past month, Bob. Our favorite war movies. We, yeah, favorite war movies, best films of the seventies. Best films of the seventies that people may not remember. I think was the exactly full topic. yes. So we had to avoid everything like Superman the movie and Star Wars and Alien, and we had to go for things like yeah. 
what was a couple off your list? I mean, I had William Friedkin, Sorcerer, and French Connection 2 on mine. Yeah, there's quite a few. Like I say, I, I'd done it a bit different than you. I basically approached each year differently and basically came up with the top one for each year, didn't I? Yep. So you had things, you know, okay, I, I was tempted to go for things like The Sting and what have you, but, you know, again, slightly a bit higher, but, um, yeah, I did a few ones, things like, um, was it uh, the, uh, oh, Christ, Rocky Horror Picture Show, things like that from the from yep. mid-70s. So, so much so, we don't know what next week's topic is. We've not chosen one yet, but Neil Johnson... It'll probably picked, be chosen on Thursday. It probably will. I'll probably put a tweet out tomorrow and ask... Uh, I'm probably going to ask Tracy Birdsall or whatever to pick the topic. So if she's listening yeah. to this, then she's been forewarned. But uh-huh. um, we've, we've, I've got a topic um, that we're going to cover after the Ridley Scott thing, if we've got time. And it is basically, what films did you love that you think, I've seen it once, I never need to watch it again? And also a couple of suggestions from each of you. What film do you never, ever get sick of watching? So we'll, we'll try and cover those after we've covered our Ridley Scott things. So Ridley Scott got a fellowship. The guy's filmography is amazing. So I messaged Bob and then Stu saying, what are your top five Ridley Scott directed films? So who yep. wishes to go first? I'm going to pick on Bob. Bob, oh, you can go first. Well, um, I think we mentioned one of my favourite ones last week. Uh, oh, sorry, no, it might have even been in the 70s one. Um, when we did, uh, I mentioned his first one that he was recognised for, which is The Duelists. Mm-hmm. So I'm going for that one as my primary. Um, so, I mean, we've already covered that. I don't need to take anything else. Uh, another one of my favourites of his, Kingdom of Heaven. That's one that I really love. Um I know some people don't. It, it is one of those ones where you either love it or hate it. But yeah, my my problem was my problem with that film was not anything to do with all the big spectacular stuff. It was buying the fact that Orlando Bloom was uh, making horseshoes <laughs> on a fire. <laughs> this weird, this weirdy fella knocking a horseshoe together. Yeah, he doesn't look like a blacksmith at all. Does he, he doesn't, does he? Doesn't. No. 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 That's the only bit. That's the only bit that blew it for me. But apart from that, yeah, it's a wonderful yeah. film. Yep. yep. Direct director's um, cut, obviously. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah, longer the better. Yeah. Uh, uh, another one of my favourites, which I'm going to get some flack for, I'm quite sure, uh, but I loved it because um, I do tend to be a bit of uh, a fan of, you know, kind of this location in the world. But I loved Black Rain. Fucking ace film. Good film. Thank that's you. In my, that's in my. That's in mine. That's in my yeah. list as well. <laughs> yep. I thought I was going to get some flack for that. <laughs> Everybody must have felt really. Frick- that's the, that, that, that. If I'm, I'm, I'm going on memory here, but that's the Andy Garcia shouldn't have died. Yeah, film. Isn't that's it? the one. That's, yeah. what, uh, that's, that's when we're one. all gutted that Andy Garcia died. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. Hey. So then, I'm afraid I do have to go a little mainstream. Um, the last two in my top five, we've got Alien, because well, it's Cause Alien. Because it's, it's Alien. And of course. The one that should still be on everyone's lips, uh, due to the fact of the uh, later version of it just come out, Blade Runner. Yes, I'm sticking with those. Those are my five: Duelists, Kingdom of Heaven, Black Rain, Alien, Blade Runner. If you um, haven't seen them, do so. Yep, three of those you actually got, and they were on my list as well. Alien, Blade Runner, and Black Rain were on my list. So, what's um, your other two? My other two are Gladiator. 
which yeah. I saw at the cinema. And I, you know, Ridley Scott's doing a gladiator film. You're like, okay, I'm sure this is. <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be a good film. And I went to the cinema and saw it, and holy shit, that thing was epic watching it on the big screen. With I'm this. sorry, but you're going to hate me. Why? You know when we to the later one where it says, okay, so films which spring to mind, which are great films, but you've seen once and don't need to watch Are you going to choose Gladiator? <laughs> that was on my Holy shit, I love Gladiator. <laughs> yeah, I could even just listen to the soundtrack. And there's, a, there's an amazing story about the, um, the screenplay on that one. Where Bill Nicholson obviously wrote the original draft and ends up being the screenplay writer on it, but fourteen other screenwriters reworked his screenplay, and wow. af- after fourteen other writers came on board, they went back to the original one that Bill Nicholson wrote, and they I think they had him on. I mean, I, I don't quote me on this, but I, the story I keep hearing is something like he was on like hundred thousand or a million dollars a day, be on set to fix the script type of thing. It was like. Bill, you need to save us. It wasn't. Um, there's a book called, it's literally called Screenplays by a guy called David Cohen. He used to do a series for Variety magazine and he put them all together into a book. And it's just the story of, a, of screenplays from concept to screen and what life they go through. And Gladiators is an amazing one. Nice. Yep. Can't believe you wouldn't watch that again, Bob. What's the matter with you? Uh, and then my you know final. Me, I pick holes in the bloody military stuff awkward get um listen to the commentary on that though so don't be picking oh that holes. makes you have to watch it again no watch it with a commentary <laughs> because do you remember it you've seen it once where they dig the trench and he they pour the fuel in it and he never really lights their arrows he actually yeah. addre- he addresses that in the commentary because people went that did they do that back then he went i don't know i don't care it looks good so there you go. <laughs> that i have the problem with <laughs> it was what sorry the catapults I've got the issue with. Yeah, but again, it's like it looks cool. <laughs> you don't want it historically accurate. It's, it's a Ridley Scott film with Russell Crowe in it. It's fine. It's not you a know. documentary. Exactly. Um, and my final choice was Black Hawk Down, which I love. That's, that's in mine. Nice. So, what have you got, Leighton, that's not, in, uh, that's not been covered? Right. So, Black Rain, Black Hawk Down, um, I'm, I'm between two, and if I'm not... Now, to add in, um, my number one is the one that, that um, I love a lot and, and it gets a lot of hate, but it recently got... Re- weirdly, recently got reassessed, is The Counselor. Do you know what? I was, is, cha- I was chatting on Twitter today and that, because I put out a tweet earlier on, what's your favourite films? And a few people came up with The Counselor. And a few people didn't like it. But I remember that film got the shit kicked out of it by critics. Absolute shit kicked out and of I it. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to watch it. I want to see how bad this thing is. And it's Ridley Scott, so it can't be that bad. And I really like that film. It's, really it's fucking caught. It's a Ridley Scott-directed movie, but yep. it's a Cormac McCarthy original screenplay. So it's not an adaptation of a book he's written. He's written this for screen with Ridley Scott. And I think the counsellor, just for the Avio Bardem clam story, if you've not seen it, I won't spoil it for you, but the clam story about Cameron Diaz's character is brilliant. And one of its criticisms is it's ridiculous. You're like going, at which point wasn't it ridiculous? Because people talk about the end, the end being silly. You're like going, but it's fine. 
it's it works. And just the wonderful performances and the cameos from like Brad Pitt, uh, Fastbender. It's it's and to be honest with you, it's got and I, and this is one of the things. I've, it's it's the first film that ever showed this, and it's not anything spectacular. But you know when someone's running away from you, <clears throat> and you're not as fast as them. It has a scene where someone just kicks the legs behind him and they trip over. I'm like, yeah, that's what you should do. You shouldn't try and run after them and rugby tackle them. Just kick the back leg and they fall over. And it's the first time I've seen that in cinema. I mean, it may have been used lots of times. So, so Black Rain, Black Hawk Down, Counselor, Alien. And I'm sort of, I, I should put Blade Runner in, but it means that means I can't put Thelma and Louise in. So, um, <laughs> Alien has to be in because that's, because it's alien, yep. Because that's that's the work of art, and I've probably watched Thelma and Louise more than Blade Runner, if I'm honest. Um, but I've listened to Blade Runner's soundtrack more, yeah, for, for obvious reasons. Because who knows what the Thelma and Louise soundtrack is? Um, I do. I've got that. No, and it's yep. actually that's another thing about going back to the counselor. Daniel Pemberton's soundtrack, the score for the counselor, is a work of art in of itself. That is, is is just amazing. That's I just had that. So yeah, so I'm I've cheated there by going five and a half six. But if if you're going <laughs> to put a gun, to, you're going to put a gun to me, and because it's already been in some fives, I'll say Thelma Louise then. Good choice, Steve. What you got? Yeah. So obviously, Alien. Obviously, you yeah. you probably knew that was going to be now my uh, top one out of that lot there. So yeah, and Blade Runner, obviously again. Um, Thelma and Louise was actually in my five. Good man. So mm-hmm. I put Thelma and Louise in there. Black Hawk down also. And Legend. I have a soft spot for Legend. I I, I really don't know why. What are you laughing at? What are you laughing at, Bob? Not a I'm fan of Legend. No, no. I'm looking at the next bit where it says which three Ridley Scott films haven't you seen? Oh, okay, that'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Le- Legend. Um, I have a little soft spot for Legend. Um, it, it just reminds me of of watching the just everything from like Goonies and Monster Squad and all that kind of stuff as a child, and it is one of those um, like really wildly imagination imaginative films, and which would never ever get made uh, today. Um, so yeah. yeah, Legend. So that's my five. And it's the legend is the film that single-handedly destroyed the Pinewood Bond uh, Bond Studio because a gas canister blew up and burnt it down. So then they rebuilt it again. Yeah. So is that right? Is that so? Is that so? yeah? I was reading. I'm reading the Roger Moore autobiography, and I knew about the the Pinewood fire, but yeah. Roger Moore was actually filming one of the Bond movies, I think there. And he, they all got evacuated, and it was like a, a gas canister blew up on Ridley Scott's legend, and they, it melted the structure. It's bloody so, yeah, hell, isn't it? Legend. <laughs> yep. I can't remember it. I mean, I've seen it, but it's. I was thinking when we because when we was looking through his list, I was like, one, I didn't remember that being a Ridley Scott film, and B, I've got no idea whether I liked it or not. I just know. I know I saw it on video, but my memory of it is so bloody fuzzy now. Tim I've never Perry seen it since. The devil. I was going to. Is that who it is? Because that's what's yeah. going to be. That's that's yeah. my memory. The big horned red fella. Yeah, Tim Curry is the devil. That's the one. And comedy, comedy, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. it's like anybody who's like, oh, I like Tom Cruise. I'll watch that. Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe not your typical Tom Cruise film. Got destroyed by critics. Um, is it better than Is it better than Krull, Stuart? Oh uh, yeah, 
Yes. <laughs> there's two versions of Legend as well. And is there, there is there's like a director's cut longer one and then the shorter one. There's one with Jerry Goldsmith doing the music and then there's the other one with Tangerine Dream doing the music. So go for the longer one. Go for the I think it's a Tangerine Dream one that's the the proper director's cut. And there is a lot of difference. You yeah. can buy a DVD version that's got both on, so that's kind of cool. And you get a copy that's very that. different, though, isn't it? That's very different, musically speaking. Yeah. I think they listen to the Jerry Go... I've either got it one way or the wrong way around or whatever. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. They basically listened to it and went, yeah, we don't like our score, get rid of it. And then I think Tangerine Dream came in and redid the score. So as if you chuck out a Jerry Goldsmith piece of music. Who, Blimey. Know, who figures? Blimey. <laughs> so yes, uh, and that covers your five, Stu. Yeah, and it was uh, Jerry Goldsmith who did the director's cut version of the music. Tangerine Dream was the original version. There you go. So whichever one's a longer one, watch that because that's the director's the, cut. The director's cut. Good. <laughs> now, now we get on to the ones of Ridley Scott's directed stuff that we've not seen. The ones that got away. Yes, I've only not seen two out of his directed stuff. I was quite surprised. So I have not seen All the Money in the World, which is the newest one, but mm. I will watch it when it comes out on DVD or Blu-ray or whatever. And I've not seen Exodus, Gods and Kings. No. Yeah. So I don't know if anybody's seen Exodus. Yep. Is it any good? No. Nope. Oh. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's nope. why I've not seen that one then. It's it's uh, Ridley Scott trying to be somebody like Tarsim Singh or directors like that. Trying to be like Darren Aronofsky when he did Noah. He probably watched Noah and thought, ooh, I'll do that. Yeah. I quite like Noah, but never mind. Uh, Noah's that's pants. Another, that's another story. <laughs> so, Mr. Miller, which Ridley Scott directed films have you not seen? Um, it's hard hmm. work, isn't it? Because you've probably seen the majority of them. Yeah, I have. Uh, huh. See, I went completely in the opposite direction. I put three films down which I didn't like from Ridley Scott. Okay, I want to know what these ones are as well, though. So tell me what those are. Yeah, I went with The Counselor, which I thought was an absolutely atrocious film. So even though you two just stuck up for it, I, I didn't like it at all. Um, I thought it was pretentious twaddle. Um, Exodus, Gods and Kings, you, which I didn't like. like. You say pretentious twaddle like it's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah it is a bad thing in this case. <laughs> And um, Alien Covenant, which is just, yeah, he destroyed the Alien franchise. Yeah, he absolutely destroyed the Alien franchise. Because I'm one of the, the people who has a soft spot for Alien 3. I actually really like Alien 3. And people say, oh, no, that destroyed the Alien franchise. Um, and all oh, the look at Alien Resurrection. That destroyed the Alien franchise. Nope. Alien Covenant destroyed it. Because at least... Is, give... is, is 3 the Fincher one? Yeah, yeah. the David yeah, Fincher yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When... I am um, with Alien Covenant, as with Prometheus. I give Prometheus a second chance because I didn't like it that much when I first saw it. When I watched it a second time, I realized, you know what? I was a little bit too harsh on the film and I thought I liked it a little bit more. Whereas with Alien Covenant, um, I got over the problems I had with it when I first saw it. But then I found even more problems when I watched it the second time. So it's <laughs> not a not a good film at all. I was going to say, yeah, Matt, it's, it's, I mean, as far as what I've not seen, I wish I hadn't seen either of those, Covenant or Prometheus. Yeah, I don't you, think... You really do not need to see the backstory of the aliens and how they're created. You don't need that. And I don't know why he wants three films, because he, he still wants to attempt to do a third one to actually explain the backstory of the alien and the creation of it. 
I mean, I, I haven't really followed it in in the kind of Ridley Scott's creative process and, and and desires for this. But has the has the backstory been something that's bubbled along ever since Alien, or is this something that's come along as an opportunity to make a film? Well, obviously, in Alien, they touch down on the planet and they see the the eggs, and so mm. that's pretty much all you need to know. Um, exactly. It's never exactly, explained yeah. uh, fully in there. Um, so you sort of like know a little bit about the engineers and the creations of what oh, the creators. Oh, no, 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 no what's in, I know what's in the film, but has, has Ridley Scott always talked about wanting to do the backstory ever since? Or has, has this something come along in the last 15 years? I don't think he has. I think it's something come along, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think even it, think that he he haven't had a backstory for the um, the aliens. That's why he shot Alien the way he shot it. And, hmm. and so just minimalistic when it came to them discovering the aliens so i don't even think that he had any notion that in 20 25 30 years time he would have to come up with a backstory of it i just think that fox was sort of like on his back a little bit to say we need to reinvigorate the alien franchise you need to come up with a way to do it what what can you come up with and i he probably just thought ah let's tell the origin story of the aliens then I think it came from the sort of fans, basically, after Alien 4, and everything went quiet on the Alien franchise for a while, the comics came out, and people were like, what is the space jockey? What's his story? And people were generally talking about, in the same way after The Force Awakens, everybody's like, who's Ray's parents? Which was never a thing that they thought was going to get asked, but then the fans and the people that watched it kind of t- latched onto that, and that's where the space jockey thing came from. And then Ridley's like, I suppose I could do one about the space jockey, and it sort of fitted in. So it was never something he planned, but something the fans kind of. You should never relent with with fan stuff. It should it's fine in comic book form, but in filmic form, it's not a good thing to listen to. No. Um, yeah, obviously you are making it for them the films because they're the ones who are going to go to the the to see the film in the opening weekend, but. They are fans to watch the films. They don't have the creative mind to be able to create them. They think that they've come up with some fantastic ideas, but whether it works in a filmic sense is a completely different different notion. So I'm, I I'm, I'm going to say I'm with the... Uh, who's the guy who did the Star Trek reboot, Into Darkness? The screenwriter of that. Oh, was it... So or, or, no, Robert... What do you call it? Ortiz or something? Was it? That's Kirk? it. Yeah, I think. I think. I think it it's one. Of, it's not Abrams or anything. It's what. It's, it's no. one of those two names. I can't show what it is. So let's not. I'm not going to quote anyone. But it's whoever was involved with whoever wrote the. Because that's 2010 in it. Star Trek and Star Wars. I remember think now. So yeah, it doesn't really matter for the point of this story. He, <laughs> and he yeah. and he got a lot of flack for that from the Star Trek fan community, for better or for worse. To which his response was going to your point. Stuart about not relenting. He went, if you want to do a Star Trek movie, become an A-list screenwriter like me, and then you can get selected. Until then, fuck off. Yep. <laughs> which I thought is the which I thought is the best because, like you know, he's getting paid. He's under a lot of pressure. He's delivered what the studio wanted, and some people like it, and some people don't. And the people that don't like it because of what they've imagined the universe is about. I mean, I think Ryan Johnson's going through this now, isn't he? With um, with Star Wars, because of a lump of people who've decided they thought the story was going somewhere else. The fact it hasn't is somehow an attack on them, which yeah. I find ins- I find that insane. But, you know, <laughs> exactly. that's, that's, that's just because I'm a sane man. Anyway, go on. So, yeah, it's like, oh, Star Wars, it's, it's not real. 
get over mm. it. So if you listen to some of the podcasts I got Ryan Johnson on, he handles it beautifully. Somebody oh, once does. asked him saying, with all the fan sort of chaos, would you have changed anything if you were rewriting it now? He went, nope. <laughs> Not more a damn pa- thing. Yep. More power to his bloody elbow, I tell you. Exactly. Yep. So, uh, yeah, have we covered Ridley Scott films we've not seen? Bob, have you done yours? No, you haven't done yours, have you? No, no, I'm the one that'll come under flack now. Oh, yeah. Um, basically, I've just chosen three, because I, I must admit there's quite a few more I've not seen. But oh, these okay. are the three that uh, I kind of want to see. So, number one, we've got The Martian. Oh, Me too. I'll, I'll, I've not seen that either. Oh, it's yep. really good. I want to, though. And then Me the too. other two, I'm going to come under some severe flack for, and I'm quite sure that Mr. Bannerman, when he next sees me, will hit me around the head. Yep. And that are that these ones are legend. Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. That's not a widely available film now, really. You don't tend to. It's not on Netflix or whatever. So I'll, I'll let you off for that one. I'm going to duck on this one though. Thelma and Louise. What you've wow. never seen? You've never seen Thelma and Louise? Wow. Just you need to repeat that. Just say I, Bob, has never I've never seen Thelma and Louise because I need to hear that coming out of your mouth. I, Bob, have never seen Thelma and Louise. You fucking liar. You must have done. Why? Why have you nope. have you avoided it or have you just never seen it? I'm, again, I'm probably gonna get flack for this, but I've always thought of it as a chick flick and never really bothered with it. Oh god, no, it's not chick flick. It couldn't be any further from that truth. No. <laughs> it really wasn't. Tell you what, Bob, I'll dig you out of the, a little hole a little bit, and I will mention it again to people that I'm the person who can't stand the Godfather trilogy, and I think The Exorcist is one of the most overrated films of all time. There you go. That's some <laughs> oh, help for you're you. saving me some bacon there. Cheers. Yep. <laughs> but, but, you, but you've seen them to say that you don't like them. Yeah, but I still get a lot of slack for saying The Godfather is the most overrated trilogy ever created, and The mm. Exorcist is, one of, is the, well, in my opinion, is the most overrated horror film ever made. But... But Bob has never seen Thelma and Louise. Still, guess, I'm I'm helping him out. <laughs> guess guess what homework I'm going to set you for the next couple of weeks, Bob. <laughs> I have the film on DVD, and when I see you next, you're borrowing it. It is a very good film, and it is very is late and said it's very far from a chick flick. It's really not a chick flick. Have you seen it's... the episode of The Simpsons that parodies it? No, nope. no. Oh, I was going to say, we could have let you off a little bit if you saw the episode of The Simpsons that parried uh, Thelma and Louise. Do you remember, Bob, when I said, right, I'm going to make you watch Steve Jobs? Yes. Uh, and do you remember probably the feeling when you thought, oh, God, I'm going to have to watch this film? Yeah. Thelma and Louise. Fair enough. Right. So there you go. So, yeah, Bob was like, he, he's not a fan of Steve Jobs, the person at all. Doesn't own any Apple products, also really didn't like him. I watched Steve Jobs, the Danny Boyle one, watched it, loved it, made Bob watch it. Bob loves it. Bob now, I believe, owns it on DVD or something, maybe. But it's a very <laughs> I still don't film. own any Apple products. Yeah, I thought he no. was going to say that, now you own an iPhone. Was, uh, <laughs> no, he's, he's, not got, he's not gone that far. Uh, they've still got still got the poster of me up in Cupertino saying if you want to yeah want to move forward, sell your products to this guy. So do you know some of the other ones that you said you hadn't seen, Bob? Have you got a list of those ones you've not seen that you could tear down, or have you just did you just note the ones that you've? I read just out? noted the just noted the uh, primary three that I thought I'd get uh, you know, a reaction for. Okay, that's fine. I shall quiz you on Ridley Scott films next time I see you because I want to know which other ones you've not seen and whether they're worthy of watching so um films that we love 
that we've only watched once and we don't really feel the need to watch again. I've written down... What have I written down? Uh, four. No, <laughs> actually... Um, well, four, but technically six. Because three of them are by the same director. So I am going to go with uh, Doctor Strange, which I really liked. So none of these, I'm not saying any of these films are shit, but I've just never felt the need to go back and watch them. I mean, I'm okay if I don't. So Doctor Strange... Uh, yep. the read the reader starring Kate Winslet mm-hmm. and three Steve McQueen films and Steve McQueen the director not Steve McQueen the actor uh, 12 years a slave hunger and shame all mm-hmm. really good films don't really feel the need to watch any of those again and uh, the ghostbusters remake which, <laughs> I re- which I did I enjoyed it I had a lot of fun watching at the cinema but I don't really feel the need to watch it again whether I do watch any of these films again who knows but to this moment in time I've not watched them so uh, Stu Miller what have you got yeah it's a really horrible question to throw at me considering how many films I watch in a year (laughs) a lot of the films I only have actually do get a chance to watch once and it's a miracle if I do get to watch them twice so it's a really, really nasty. In the like nearly eight years that I've done the show, I've and uh, my review show, I've probably watched close to a nearly four thousand films, maybe. And out of those four thousand films, if not a little bit more, I've might have only rewatched some of them about about fifty of them again. And so I'm having to choose from three and a half thousand films. So do you want to go through them all? No, <laughs> exactly. So it's a bit of an, um, a horrible one to, to choose on that front there. So I just thought I would go with one that I absolutely adored. It was back from 2012. I absolutely adored. I've only ever seen once and I think I only ever intend to watch once. Um, it's a film called Kakia Prove Let Him Let Tom. Okay, you just made that shit up, didn't you? That's not even a real no, film, it, is it? It's a no. film called How I Ended This Summer. It's a Russian film. It's okay. directed by a director called Alexei Pobogrebsky. Um, it, it's a fantastic, fantastic little condensed film, but I've only seen once. And like I said, back in 2012, and I don't have any intention to watch it again, even though I absolutely loved it. But there are numerous amount of other films that I've absolutely loved, given fan, fantastic reviews to, which I don't think I'll ever get round to watching again because I watch too many. But 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 getting round to and never intending to watch again are different. Is it's like yeah, is the, there's films you watch and, and and there's films I've watched that I want to watch again, but it's 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 only because I haven't, not because I don't want to. It's not yeah. You know, the, yeah. The, um, for example, films like there's a movie from Sweden called Michael, which I have no intention to watch again, even though I absolutely loved it. But because of the subject matter is so tough that mm. you just don't feel like going back to watch it again. Hounds of Love. Uh, from last year, an Australian film, which I thought was a phenomenal little Australian film, Animal Kingdom. <coughs> it's a brilliant Australian film, so Snowtown, about the Snowtown murders. Those mm. three films sort of like have the same kind of feel to them, but they are so depressing to watch that you don't feel like you need to watch them again. Yeah. I just watch too many movies. Mm. Yeah, you're, you're, in a, you're, you're, you're in a different boat than us, I suppose, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, we all watch too many movies other than Bob, who hasn't watched Thelma and Louise. <laughs> my, my, only, my, get <laughs> my only one that stands out as a film that I've watched, and it's sort of in, always in the kind of hundred or a thousand films you must see and stuff, is I saw Come and See, the, uh, the Russian World War II movie about the Nazis moving in on, um, I think, the Ukraine, isn't it, or Belarus? And... I, it's a really powerful film that really sort of 
shocks you to your core about the evil that people do and, and in fact how people move beyond it and, and have to come out the other side of it and get on with their life and stuff in the middle of a war and I think there's, there's I don't think there's any uh, there's nothing, no film I've seen I mean I'm sure there might be them but films I've seen that, that, that powerfully conveys all those messages in one movie And but having seen it I don't think I need to study it yeah because if you, if you look at things like Son of Saul would mm. I ever want to go back and watch Son of Saul again no it no, is totally a brilliant yeah. brilliant film but I could not watch that movie again even Schindler's List, you know, it's yeah. not, you know, it, it's, it's a big, big Steven Spielberg release, but it's it's not one I need to watch again. Yeah, but see that that would have been a perfect example for one of my lists, but I've seen that film three times, so it had automatically get got kicked off it. I always thought Martyrs I'd never watch again. Yeah, I've only seen that once. I loved it, absolutely loved it, but I've never seen it since, so that could go on my list. The only um, reason why I watched it again is because I watched the American remake and thought, I need to get the American remake out of my brain and watch the original because it's much better. <laughs> oh, I never, I never, never bothered yeah, the remake. My don't God. watch the remake. It absolutely destroys what Pascal Logier did with uh, the original Martyrs, and he's a very in- interesting director, but... Yeah, the remake is awful. It's just like I am so on sort of like probably I need to watch this, but the American remake of Inside, Inside mm. the, the I love Inside. Inside's a brilliant little French film, but I don't want to watch the American remake because it it might just go. Ugh, it's probably destroyed the concept of Inside. They're doing an American remake of Tron, aren't they? As well, yes. yeah. Neil Johnson, uh, not Neil Johnson. <laughs> yeah, not Neil. Neil Johnson might be doing it. Neil Marshall, isn't it? Yeah, he, I'm not sure. Is he is he still on it? I don't think he's still on it. You know, I, I think he don't was, think he is. He was at the start when that first came around. Neil Johnson's um, probably kicked him off. <laughs> so. so, what have you got, Bob? What uh, films have you got that you've seen once that you really loved that you really just don't feel a need to watch again? Obviously, you can't include Thelma and Louise because you don't watch the first no. time yet. <laughs> I'm going to throw even more controversy in here. Uh, and I've got a severe feeling Mr. Bannerman will disown me. Um, I've got several, I've got seven movies on here um, okay. that are a bit more mainstream than the others that have been mentioned. Uh, I, think but, St- I think Stu Miller was just making shit up, to be honest. Hadn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, like I say, the question posed was, uh, which films spring to mind that are great films, but you've seen once and don't need to watch again? So, I've got Gangs of New York. Yeah, no, I've seen that twice back. I'd agree with that one. Yeah. As I've mentioned before, I've got Gladiator on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Slumdog Millionaire. Loved the really? film. What? Really? What? Oh, damn. I, I, I loved it, but I don't need to watch it again. Okay. And this goes with the other four, which are the ones that will get me in trouble. Well, definitely number seven, but anyway. Uh, American Sniper? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Really good film. Yeah, I've never no. seen it more than once either. Part of it's good. Yeah. Oh. Dirty Dancing? Oh, God, I wish I'd have only seen that once. See him. <laughs> now we're coming to the two that Mr. Bannerman will disown me for. That's um, okay. Saving Private Ryan? Yeah, no, I see your point on that. I've yeah, only yeah. seen it once. I've seen it twice. Once at the cinema, which was amazing, and then I think I watched it once on DVD, but other than that, I don't really feel the need to... Band of Brothers, however, I could watch that every week. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. 
And then I will mention number seven, which will probably get me kicked from this kind of podcast. Yep. Um, knowing a certain someone's love of this one. Yep. Um, Top Gun. Oh, bye, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> How can you put a Tony Scott film on there? What's the matter with you? I just, Damn. it's one of those. It's a great film. I have no need to watch it again. I have no desire the, to watch it again. When was the last time you watched it? It's like 1986. Last something. time? The first time. The when only was it, time. When, oh, roughly Christ. how long? Probably about 2004. Wow. I must have seen that film about 20, 30 times over the past few decades. Huh? Damn. So there you go. Yeah. I've thrown the cat amongst the pigeons. Bye, Bob. <laughs> well, let's, <laughs> let's be a bit more positive. So, Leighton, what films have you got that you'd never tire of watching? Give us a few sort of selections of that. Let's make it more positive than Bob's Well, what, one of them I actually got to see on the big screen for the first time, thanks to Arrow video screenings at uh, Prince Charles, because they're about to do a Blu-ray release of it, is I saw uh, Time Bandits on, oh, on, the big, nice. on, on the big screen. I mean, I... I I must. I, I. I just can't. I can't even begin to tell you how many times I've seen that film, um, and but I've never seen it on the big screen. And you know what? The beauty of film is being able to sort of see something else each time you see it. And I figured there's nothing else I could see in this film. And in the opening moments when you're in his bedroom, I saw for the first time, as far as that, my my subconscious was picking it up, a cardboard cutout of Napoleon on his wall. Which I've never seen. I've never seen it. I've seen everything else that, that you're meant to be clues, and maybe the the either misdirect that this was all a dream, but but I've never seen the Napoleon reference before. And I'm like, it's like you know, like a back. It's about four foot. The reason it's mad that I've seen it. It's about a four foot eye on from floor to how high it is, literally, <laughs> on the wall. On like if you're coming in the door, if, if you've seen the film, you come in the door to his bedroom the wall you're looking at when you walk in across from his bed, the camera pans around and cause you're on a big screen suddenly. And I'm like drinking all this in. I'm like, and I turned to my wife, I went, I've never seen that before. And, like, and it was mad to think that I could see, you know, it proves that, you know, even though I'm in my forties now that my 12 year old brain can still be excited by something new. Nice. <laughs> um, more recent film I've watched a lot is only God forgives. And by, by that one, I also drive. Um, and uh, Council have watched a lot. Sorry, Stuart Sunderland. Um, <laughs> and I have. It's like it's 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 it became an obsession. Everyone who hasn't seen it, I play at them and make them. Well, and the other one that the other one that that, that that only recently got sort of rediscovered for all of us, I think, um, was the Blu-ray of Waking Fright coming out. And since that come out, I've I've watched it a lot. Again, it's another one that. If somebody's at my house and they say they've not seen it, then we'll watch it. But that's why I get excited when Bob's like, I've not seen, for example, Thelma Louise, because it's like, right, now I will make sure he takes I'm the DVD I'm not going to live this down. And he'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to have to watch it or I'll just constantly keep mentioning it. But, uh, I like introducing Bob. All I can come Bob. back with is Seven Samurai. Yeah, that's true. I've never seen that <laughs> film, ever. So, yeah. Don't Yikes. name I know. It's three hours. It's black and white. It's subtitled. I've got to so be. So what? It's so important in the world of cinema, more so than Thelma and Louise. Thank well, you very I, much, Mister Miller. I've you never, get a I've round never, of applause. I've I've never seen Casablanca, Citizen Kane, The Sound of Music, 
or Fuck's sakes! Jesus just, Christ! Just, yeah, just you're saying. destroying Bob for Thelma and Louise? Fuck! <laughs> exactly. There's a, there's, there's, a, there's a Kurosawa story about when he was, he was interviewed about Seven Samurai and he was asked about a shot and it was, so the journalist was being very convoluted and very sort of blowing smoke up his ass about the perfection of the shot and he sort of said, so why did you choose that particular shot? And Kurosawa goes, um, there was an airport on the right and a car factory on the left, and they couldn't be in shot, was his answer. <laughs> and I just, thought, I just thought, that's fucking amazing as an answer. So, like, there's obviously, I mean, it doesn't mean that you can't layer that subtext on it that you're seeing, but the simple fact was there's an airport on the right and a car factory on the left. And I think that's beautiful. Oh, epic. I love it. Okay. So, uh, who's next? Uh, yeah, Bob, you've done yours, haven't you? I get all confused nope. now. Who's done what? I've not done my... Uh, You're ones. still going. Go for it, yep. Okay, um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm basically I'm limiting myself to ten. I'll go through them without discussing. I'll just let everyone else pick, pick the bones out. I'm still upset so, about Thelma and Louise. I'm blaming it. I'm traumatised. Well... I mean, Stuart won't be amazed by too, too many of these. Um, Gone in 60 Seconds. There's a Nicholas uh, Cage loved it. One, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the Last Samurai. Yep. Dances with Wolves. Of course, the full director's cut. Mm-hmm. All four hours of its glory. Yeah. Um, I mean, these are all my kind of feel-good go-to movies when I'm feeling... Um, Three Musketeers, the Disney one with Tim Curry as Cardinal Richelieu. Yep. Uh, the Princess Bride. Good choice, yep. Sneakers. Hey, I love that movie. It's one of the best cinema experiences I've ever had. Well, listen, coming up to the big finish. Split Second. Always loved that okay. one. Um, one of my all-time favourites, Big Trouble in Little China. Again, you mentioned uh, the recent re-releases by Arrow. Mm. Blu-ray, so I've got to pick that up still. Um, Ronin. Good choice. And then finally, one that, uh, you know, this may redeem me. This is one that Mr. Bannerman made me watch and uh, has always been a fan, you know, <clears throat> a favourite since, and that is Midnight Run. Oh, I love that movie. Yep. They're all feel-good movies in a way. You know, you always, you come out of all of them, you know, feeling that after the last scene, it's good. So, yeah, they're always pick-me-ups for me. I think they have to be, though, don't they? I mean, you don't go, and the films I never tire of watching are Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, 12 Years a Slave, yeah. Downfall. You're like, no, what the hell's the matter with you? Although we may get to Stu Miller's List and there'll be some creepy, horrible, I'm, I'm pretty, gory films I'm, on I'm, there. So. I'm pretty sure Waking Fright and Only God Forgives are not feel-good films. I haven't well, seen yeah, Only God Forgives. I've, I've not watched Only God Forgives because people keep saying it's shit. So I'm like, I'll watch it at some point, but for now, I don't want to watch a film if it's crap. So It's sumptuous is what it is. But my brother and brother and my father said it was boring. So there you go, go between those two. <laughs> I'd, I, having listened to that ten, I'd add, I'd add smoking the bandit to my list then. Yeah, oh, always choice. a good call. Yeah, as a watch again and again. Yep, you've got to have some feel goods. I mean, another one there would be Hooper. Yes, if you're mm. going on the Reynolds side. Cannonball Run. Put that yep. in there. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> so. Over to uh, either Mr. Miller or Mr. Bannerman. Mr. Miller. Yeah, I'm going to shock you with some of mine. Well, I know what one of them is. If one of them's not on it's that Alvin list. It's Alvin and the Chipmunks. 
Yeah, I'll get the I'll get the two obvious ones out the way with the Nightmare Elm Street and Stand by Me. They're the obvious two. Right. Make a prediction that Paddington's on there. Yeah, Paddington is a phenomenal film, but I've only seen both of them uh, once. Paddington and Paddington. If you had to guess, Stu, how many times in your life do you think you've seen Stand by Me? Around about twenty-five times, maybe it's a little bit more. Wow, still a damn fine film. Yeah, every single time, I always still deem it as perfect. Only film I've ever deemed as perfect. So it's, yeah, Stand By Me and obviously Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I, I'm always always ashamed to see a sister act, always ashamed to see her, see it, but it always brings a smile on my face because I just adore Whoopi Goldberg. She always makes Don't me smile. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. No, never, never be ashamed of watching a film that you like. If nobody else yeah. likes it, fuck them, basically. If it makes yeah. you feel good, go with it. Yeah, so yeah. Sister Act, obviously Studio Ghibli films, My Neighbor Totoro. I love Tornano Totoro. It's just, yeah, it's genius little film. I've got a, a Totoro pen that's made entirely out of wood. And it's just, <laughs> I, I love it. I, t- I take it to work with me every single day. So people just look at it and go, what the hell is that? It's a Totoro. A what? I've got a Totoro lanyard as well. And that's my ID badge as well. Aww. It's got my ID badge on the end of it. So nice. yeah, I... I love Tonono Totoro. So um, oh. every, every day, Stu goes to uh, work with wood in his pocket. There you go. You're Totoro right. wood. Totoro um, wood. The yes. best kind. Yeah, so Studio Ghibli's in films in general, but Tonono Totoro is my number one there. Um, the Thing. Yes. I've seen The Thing multiple, multiple times, and I still do not get tired of that movie. Yeah. That film is genius. Um, Your favorite line out of The Thing? There's got to be one. What's, what, which one? It's hard to choose any of them, to be honest. Cheating bitch. Yeah, that's one of mine. Cheating bitch. <laughs> or, uh, or you're going to be fucking kidding me is also a good one. And uh, sort of when you've got a minute, can somebody get me out of this fucking chair? That just screamy <laughs> line. Yeah. That's amazing. Any of those three spring to mind. Love it. And then I'll end the list off with two probabilities where you're going to say, what the? Well, three where you'll say, what the fuck? Um, ES Ventura Pet Detective. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. I can go with that. Yeah. Police Academy. Good choice. Yes. Yep. I yep. just love Police Academy. And my ultimate Achilles heel when it comes to films, and I've seen pretty much every single one of them more than five times, I would say, are the carry-on films. Epic choice. I've seen every single one of them, even including carry-on Columbus, five times <laughs> plus. Wow. Really? I, yeah. And Which then uh, the, if we had to put you on the spot. Um, I'm a big, huge fan of the old ones, so Carry On Sergeant, Carry On Teacher, um, the yeah. black and white ones. They're my favourite. I absolutely love Carry On Cabby. I love the black Cabby, and white ones. Cab- yeah, Cabby one's good. They, they, they are by far my favourite. When they went into colour, they start to lose a little bit of the fun. It's They were still there, but I think oh, yeah. the black and white ones are the best. Carry On Sergeant, Carry On Teacher. <laughs> Carry on up your, is it the carry on up your convenience, is it? Um, the, yeah, the, yeah, the carrying up the convenience. Where they go on the works due to the seaside. Yeah. Is that, that one? That's that the one is, with the toilet factory. Yeah, yes. that that one. I mean, because that, not that my dad works at a toilet factory, but he works in a similar kind of place. And that just reminds me of being a kid. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I would have gone to like works dues and it was all like, because we don't work in places like that. Nobody works in a place like that anymore. Yeah, it's kind of a, a document of its time as much as anything else. There's multiple carry-on films, and I have actually seen every single one of them five times plus. I've got to say, one of my favourites is Carry On Up the Kyber. 
Yeah. I think so. that's one of the two carry-on films I've seen. Yeah. True story. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a lot to catch up on. I've got the box set downstairs with them all in. Yeah, yeah if I've you all, have... I've only had it for three years, so... Yeah, if you're ever feeling ill and you Put just want to... Yeah, they are such one of the, the cheery kind of films which will always make you giggle or smirk. And they're always... You wouldn't be able to make them nowadays. No, you definitely can't. Not exactly politically correct. <laughs> yeah. The kind of stuff that they used to get away with is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, but he makes you laugh. That's yeah. the thing. You look at them and go, what, that's a PG, really? You put that in a PG these days, you'll just have um, uh, parents just wanting the cinema to be burnt to the ground. Yep, exactly. So, people want Netflix burnt to the ground, apparently, because all the seasons of Friends are on there, and there's a big outcry because it's homophobic, apparently, it's Friends. Very homophobic. What? People are outraged. And I said to somebody at work, I'm like, why is Friends homophobic? And he said, because they keep referring to Ross's wife as your lesbian ex-wife. And I'm like, eh, yeah, I never thought of that. So now that's extremely homophobic. Back when we watched it, it was funny. So, oh. you know. Which is just gonna... it's, it's, it's funny, though, that that story about millennials not like finding it homophobic and out of step was ran in the same week that Friends went live on Netflix. I mean, far be mm. it from me to suggest... Mm that that was a marketing ploy to get new... Because that was on, like, LBC, BBC, ITV News, as if we'd fucking struck gold or something. Yep. <laughs> and you're like, it's what? Some people like it, some people don't. That yep. was what it was like when it come out. Yeah, some people it like It wasn't a freaking generational thing. And <laughs> to tell me... And, and what we're saying there is what that all millennials are not homophobic. Is that what is that what they are now? So every single one, of, we've got rid of homophobia in one generation. Yay! Well done, humanity. Get out! Of yeah. hell. Don't believe Get that. Out. No. So is that your list, Stu? Yep. So we're over right. to you. Films I never tire of. I did have about seven on mine, and the two that I removed just to make the list a little bit shorter. Tony Scott's True Romance. I still never tire of watching that film. Absolutely yeah. love it. Uh, Return of the Jedi, still my favourite of the Star Wars movies, just saying. But the ones that have remained on my list is, it's the only horror film on there, it's Lucky McKee's The Woman. Amazing oh, film. Never, film. never tire of watching that Do you know film. what? And Do you not think that's like, as if as if Todd Solans made a horror film, it'd be that. I know his films are quite horrific in the sense of what they dramatise, but if he literally made a horror film, I feel like The Woman would be it. <laughs> I love it. It's a great film. I think I introduced Bob to that film. I wasn't quite sure how he took it, though. You no, that you've, never, you've never shown me that one. I'm sure when we used to um, uh, sort of do movies at your house many, many moons ago, I'm sure that was one of the choices that no, I no. made where, where she's you, kidnapped. You might have brought kept... it down, but you've never shown me that one. Are you aware of the film, though? I think where you've told me about it. Where she's uh, Pollyanna McIntosh, she's living in the woods, and she gets sort of kidnapped and locked in a cellar while they try to domesticate her. You've yeah, never you've seen the woman. Yeah. Oh, I you, thought I thought I'd made not, you watch it. No, I think you might have brought it down one time and then basically it kind got, of along with vetoed. another and gone. Oh, we'll do this one. Right. Well, I need to make you watch the woman at some point. Yeah, make so it the double bill with them um, with me. So watch me and the woman. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Let's go. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Close Encounters of the Third Kind. My all-time favourite film ever. Don't really care which version I watch. I love them all, but I prefer the ones without the mothership inside. Uh, Some Kind of Wonderful, which is my favourite John Hughes written film, which is kind of like a flip version of Pretty in Pink. Never tire of watching Some Kind of Wonderful. Absolutely love it. 
Uh, Scarface, the Al Pacino one. <laughs> Love that movie. I've seen that probably 20, 30 times, like Stu Sin, Stand By Me. Mm. And my favorite Tony Scott film ever, Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah. I, I love watching that. I always, yep, I watch that probably every six months or so. <laughs> it's great. Like it. So there we go. So that's a whole bunch of uh, topics and things covered. Shows run a little bit longer. I'll blame Leighton for that because extra guest means more airtime. So, but I'm okay with that. And I'm a dog People, <laughs> well, I, I didn't want to comment. <laughs> um, sort of new things of the week. Uh, Bob's aware of this project is Angus has arrived. Woo-hoo. So um, if you, anybody's on Twitter, give all-knowing Angus a follow. Um, he's got some exciting things to come out in the next few weeks. Um, I'm not going to say any more of that because it'll kind of ruin the things that are going to come out in a few weeks. Um, shout he's out to colostomy bag. And Tracy Bird. So he hasn't got a colostomy bag, I'll have you know. He's very healthy for a... <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how old he is, but he's quite old. He's quite... I don't know what star sign he is. No idea. I don't really... <laughs> never asked him so oh. uh, Leighton where can people find you and what do you do so pimp yourself out you've, you've got the, the airwaves um, I am Leighton Rocks on Twitter so if you want to say hello and tell and, and congratulate me on shining a light on the councillor then please do um, so L-E-Y-T-O-N Rocks um, or if you want to listen to me talk with filmmakers or ancillary people to do with film then I more or less put out a podcast every week with people. I've, I've got queued up. I've actually got a genuine ancillary person. I've got someone called Rebecca Louise Smith, who bills herself as the film festival doctor. So what she does is she works with filmmakers to help them get placed in, in the right film festivals. Because if, if, I don't know if any of you have ever, actually, ever tried to get a film, short or feature, into a film festival. It's a fairly opaque process. But what is transparent is which are the Premier League and which are, you know, the Hackney the Hackney Central Sunday Morning League festivals. But some can be more useful than others. Some qualify for BAFTA, some qualify for Oscars and so on and so forth. So she can help you, A, build a strategy or and or B, help you get placed. I've learned from talking to her that, for example, lobbying film festivals and that doesn't mean sort of getting too heavy on it but just you know polite phone calls hi i just thought you should know my film would really fit with your festival take a look it's not a bad thing to do you know because you throw your film into a hole you pay your 25 quid and then you may or may not have told you're in the festival that's the process for most people okay which, which isn't satisfying but there you go so that's what's coming so i'm on that's on itunes and and through the britflix.com website Stu, where can people find you? They all know by now, but you know what? Yeah. Give them another go. Twitter, Cryptic Tadpole, Monday Movie Show. Pretty much there. It's the best place to get me, Twitter and Facebook. Okay. Bob, with your bag of rats. Yeah, that's exactly, that's me, bag of rats. Um, that's basically my Twitter handle. Uh, I don't really do much other than support Mr. Bannerman as much as I can. Um, but yeah, yeah, there you go. That's me. <laughs> fantastic and if uh, people don't know where they can find me how the freaking hell did you manage to find this podcast would be my answer to that good point so uh, thank you very much Stu aka Leighton Rocks or Stuart Leighton thank Rocks. you for having me thank- thanks very much for sort of having a busy day and then leaping back home and then jumping on Skype <laughs> <laughs>
So my, uh, my pleasure. You. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Bob, and thank you as always, Stu. No problem. I've got, much, a, I've got a topic for you guys for your next podcast if you're interested. Yes, please. I, I want, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to know your takes on how Netflix are actually handling their Netflix own or Netflix original films because of what's been happening over the last month or so, especially with the Cloverfield Paradox, the trailer was shown yeah. during the Super Bowl, and then they released it after the Super Bowl. Um, what's happening with Annihilation, which is out on Netflix in the UK on the 14th of March, but it's out in America now. Uh, Mute, which is Duncan Jones's new film, that's out on Netflix now, which I have seen, and it's not very good. But it's just, oh, yeah, the, that's the unfortunate thing. You look at the directors behind the films and you look at some of the films that are, has come in as Netflix originals and yeah. is the turnaround so quick that the constraint, the, the constraints are put on the directors for to actually release the, make the films as quick as possible can so they can be put on there? Or is Netflix not handling the way they're, hand, they are, um, handling the way they're, they're distributing their films very well? Or are they just trying to buy as much as they possibly can? So they can have original content on there because it's just ironic that Cloverfield Paradox is on Netflix. But the next Cloverfield film, um, which is out in October, which is set during World War Two Overlord, that is actually going to get a proper theatrical release. So mm-hmm. just do interest- you, a, a very quick one. Or do you know how or why the Cloverfield Paradox ended up on Netflix? Because I do know the answer to that. I know they spent a lot of money on buying it. Because Paramount basically they own the distribution rights or data whatever. They do. They made the they made the film. They screened the film for their own executives. The executives all agreed. Shit! If we put this out in the cinema, we're dead. Critics are going to absolutely kill us. What can we do with this film? They flogged it to Netflix. And That's do you know, how that ended up? Do you know how many people watched it in the first three days? Um. Well, no, because nobody really does, do they? They use the Nielsen ratings, which are not quite. Accurate, but Netflix will just make up make up their own numbers. I'm it was how many pro- was it? It was approximately two point five million. It was viewed two point five million times in in the first three years. Which is a bit yeah. shit, really, because that's effectively a twenty five million dollar opening, isn't it? Yeah, on the border for something like fifty sixty million dollars. Yep. But you but, know what? As soon as I saw that aired on Netflix the day after, I was watching it. So. You know. But there, there in turn, we have to wait until March 14th to see Annihilation, Alex Garland's new film, which is getting some fantastic reviews. Released in America over the weekend, it made 11 million. The budget's 40 million. So it made 11 million in its opening weekend in America for it to be shown in American cinemas. It's only getting shown in Canadian cinemas and Chinese cinemas everywhere else. It's going to be on Netflix. So it, it's just, I, I don't get how the, the distribution is happening with that. So it'll just be interesting on, on your takes on. Well, I, I, I've just come back from Bill and Ali, where I, I actually heard, I, for the first time I heard the differentiation between, obviously you've got theatrical release, which is what we're familiar with, and then you've got paid, uh, paid for video on demand, your iTunes, Sky Movies, and all that kind of stuff, the Virgin Movies, and obviously I guess America has a whole host of similar things. And then this phrase I heard now, which is what Netflix is, which is subscription video on demand. And they're, they're, they're different values in terms of a film's worth to anybody in terms of distribution. So I think there's, <clears throat> excuse me, I think things are changing. And, and yeah. I, know we're, I know we're finishing a podcast here, but <laughs> it's been running for nearly two hours. But it's the, to, to answer your question I think about, the, about the production side of things, from what I understand, they're giving filmmakers too much freedom, which means there's not, 
So this, the accusation at Hollywood is always they interfere too much and you get development hell. And Netflix are not having to risk because they don't have to succeed on the day and date releases and how many tickets they sold because like like you've already said it's just new content for them they can go news new content subscribe look we've got new content and that's their model being good content isn't a demand i don't think any of us are placing on them yet and i'm thinking that's the change that's got to come and maybe netflix have got to look at a learning through these films they're producing that that maybe it isn't just about build it and put it out build it and put it out there, there is a reason why Films take a certain just 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 I can't say the word now. Gestation, <laughs> gestation period to be a good thing. It's not always a race to get it out there. Maybe all, all I'll just all I'll just say just regarding mute um, is the fact that I think if Duncan Jones was allowed to release it in the cinema, I think it'll be a much better coherent film than it turns out to be. Because with it being the sort of it is deemed as the pseudo sequel to Moon. It, there is a couple of scenes in it which actually Moon is not only referenced but shown in the oh, film really? itself. Yes, it is technically oh, wow. the se- it is technically the sequel to Moon, but the only thing it has in common with Moon is very similar to the Cloverfield films. They share the same name, but in this one here, it's just two scenes. There's two scenes which show Moon um, in there, and even in an interview with Duncan Jones, he said he had loads more that he wanted to add in there. And I'm ho- I, my guess is that if it was shown. If it had a theatrical release or a bigger release than what is happening with Netflix, I think Netflix might have put a time restraint on them saying, we need this film out now, that it does feel rushed, but it's the film itself is boring, which is annoying. But you, hopefully you, you just watch it before you just do the, the show next week just to see what you find it, um, what you think of it. Can I just have one more thing? I, as, as an offshoot of my Britflix podcast, I do a thing called Five Great British Horror Films which is a show I do within my British thing. And all of you are welcome to compile your list and come on at a later date. It's not something I do by any, by any deadline whatsoever. I just let people who, who have said they want to, who have said they're interested in films and, and want to discuss it. So if, if that interests you, I do. The yep. format is five minutes per film. I time it. When five minutes are up, we stop. We move on to the next film because then I get a then I get a half hour podcast, which is always fun. Nice. So so if you if if that appeals to your uh, your way of thinking, it is just five. And as far as British film horror films go, I've had everything from the obvious like Wicker Man and Blood and Satan's Claw through to Apex Twin videos by Chris Cunningham. So (laughs) it 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 can be whatever you want it to be, but it's more or less about five British horror films that excite you. And, and there's something to say. One lad, even uh, Gareth Dimolo, who writes for Sabotage Times and things, he talked about 1976 The Ghoul, which is a bloody terrible film. But he <laughs> but he used it as a he used it as a way of describing it being the death knell of British horror that didn't get revived until '87 when um, Hellraiser came out. And so it was an, yeah. it made for an interesting discussion. So I'm not just about you have to sort of eulogise everything, but if you've got something interesting you might want to say, then yeah. Then, then um, message me on the DM me on the old Twitter, and we'll um, we'll we'll pick we'll schedule a date, and we can have a one on one Skype call to record that. And it's just a fun. just a quick throw in there: Hellraiser, Hellraiser Judgment is a terrible film. <laughs> Where I've seen all the Hellraiser films, and Gary Turnercliffe's the new Hellraiser Judgment. I've seen that, and it's awful. It's really awful. But the makeup effects is actually really good. You see, I'm I'm glad that you watch these films because then I don't have to. 
Yeah. Just yeah. like you've seen all them Fifty Shades ones. I'm, I'm <laughs> admi- I, I admire your the grist to your mill that you put in, but I, I couldn't do it. I I think I'd fall out of love with it. I don't I think I can do it anymore, to be honest. <laughs> It's it's cinematic self harm. It's not worth it. It's yeah. Stop doing it. I think so. the best it gets out of us is just the rant, which needs to be heard because they are quite funny, aren't they? The Stuart, yep. the rants. Yep. They are definitely. So on that note, I will let everybody retire to their beds and sleep well. Uh, this podcast will be out probably on Monday, so I'll tag you all in and share the links <laughs> and stuff. But thank you very much for taking time out for a couple of hours to have a good old natter. It's been fun. Thank you, everyone. Problem. Yep. Thank all you. Right. Good good night all. Good night care, all. Guys. Sleep well. Bye bye. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.